Just go to bed, guys. Gosh. Why are you still up? It's 930. Hello everyone, this is Ghost 81 with episode 17 of the RF Generation Playcast for August 2015. Before we get into the show, we have some exciting news for our loyal listeners. This September, we will be moving our hosting services from Podomatic to Podbean. This move will allow us to host all of our episodes in one place and maintain full download capabilities from Podbean's site and our RSS feed affiliates, which at this time are iTunes and Stitcher. We have already uploaded all of our past episodes to Podbean and have created a working homepage at rfgenplaycast.podbean.com, so please go ahead and check it out. If you subscribe to us on Podomatic, iTunes, or Stitcher, Please note that this episode will be our last episode released on Podomatic. This means you will need to resubscribe once we change our RSS feed. This change will occur toward the middle of September, and we will be sure to notify you on the RF Generation forums and the homepage. Thank you for your support. We know that this move will only enhance your listening experience. Now let's get on to the games. For the retro discussion, the community's voice was heard and we played Little Nemo the Dream Master for the NES after a poll was taken to choose a title. For the podcast discussion, Floyd and Rich will be joined by returning special guest Russ Lyman. On the modern side, Stephen and I will discuss the subversive military shooter Spec Ops The Line for the PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. As always, our discussions are full of spoilers, especially for Spec Ops The Line. If you haven't played the games and don't want them spoiled, please play the games first before you listen. Also, please subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RFGPlaycast. You can also listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. Most importantly, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the playcast. Floyd, welcome back to the show. We were uh, a little interrupted last week. Had Stephen on the call. Of course, oh, that's that's re- that's really okay. <laughs> he, he's a great guy, so so I don't mind him having around. That's right. Uh, he did not join us this month, unfortunately. He said he was going to take a little bit of break. I think his intention was to probably join us, as he does sometimes. But it's great to have you back on this side, Floyd, and uh, you know just enjoy playing some retro games with you, catching up, just like old times. 
Oh yeah. I think um I I upgraded to um to a a plasma screen and, and got a, a Retron 5 and it's kind of just been sitting collecting dust for a while so I'm I'm really happy to be uh finally putting it to good use. Very nice, very nice. Well, we've also got a special guest on our show this month, um Russ Lyman. Uh many of you know him on the site as Rusty Man as we like to call him sometimes. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Russ. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, it's good to be here. Awesome, awesome. And as many of you know, um, Floyd, um, Floyd, and I are actually going to um, Retro World Expo up in Connecticut, and of course, we'll be on Russ's turf, so we'll get to visit with Russ while we're up there. Um, Russ, can you tell us a little bit about Retro World Expo and kind of what's going on and? Um, all the little inside secrets that you know about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll see what I can uh, leak out. <laughs> um, but pretty much the job that I work at Retro Games Plus is a uh, brick-and-mortar retro video game store. Um, we have three locations. Um, just opened our last one in Newington, Connecticut, about maybe uh, just about a year ago now, I'd say. Um, everything's going well, and our owner, Chris, had talked to... Um, John over at RetroWare TV um, runs like YouTube channels and has awesome gaming stuff. And they wanted to put together a retro gaming expo in Connecticut because nothing like that happens. We have like the Comic Con type uh, expos, but nothing just strictly you know retro video games. Um, so yeah, it's a great idea. We got a bunch of people together um, doing different aspects and stuff, and it's coming down to the wire. It's in October third in Wallingford, Connecticut. It's about 20 minutes from where I am. Um, yeah. And I know we're all going to pretty much have a big RF generation get together beforehand. Yeah, it's going to be really awesome. I'm, <laughs> I am I know, and I'm probably speaking for Floyd as well, but I, I, I'm getting really excited about October and coming up and just, just meeting everyone for the first time. It's going to be such a nice, such a nice trip. Absolutely. And it'll, you know, it'll be nice and cool out too, so we don't have to worry about summer heat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's cool that it's up in Connecticut, too. Like you said, the guys from RetroWare, that's kind of their home base, so it's kind of nice that they're doing something, and it would be cool to be at the um, the actual first, you know, we can, we can all say, oh, we went to the first, the very first convention, you know, that these guys had, you know, after it blows up years down the road from now, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing with a selling point with us trying to get vendors for the show and guests. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, how was the attendance prior year? Well, this is our first year, so we don't know how it's going to mm-hmm. turn out. Um, but yeah, we're hoping the best ticket sales are going well. Um, I'm actually going to have a table at the event, so I'll have a booth selling stuff. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So yeah, that's kind of a lot of pressure on me. Um, cause I'm working at the game store and I also have another job at Costco and I'm trying to find the time in between to, um, make a lot of stuff. So I have pretty good products to sell at retro world. All right. Cool. Any hints about what'll be at your table? Um, I'm hoping to do a lot of custom NES controllers. Right. Um, I'm going to be doing kind of unique pixel um, bead art. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to make, if I have time, a uh, flux capacitor from Back to the Future. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to sit aside a few for us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, a couple other um, things I'm kind of toying with. Um, and if I just have the time to get it together, I actually just got my banners in, um, some two by six banners I can hang up. Um, one of them actually has my face pixelated and it says, Hey guys, Russ Lyman here. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That is great. That's so cool. Um, is there, is there any chance that you can, uh, sort of tell our listeners, um, any of the special guests that are going to be at, uh, at the big con? 
Um, well, definitely confirm we're going to have the uh, game chasers come down. Right. That's going to be huge. Yeah. And I, I know he's he's not as big, but um, Woods from the channel Beat 'em Ups, um, he's mm. from Australia, and he's mm. actually going down to meet Billy and Jay and drive up with them. So he'll be swinging through the expo as mm. well. Poor oh, guy. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, and then we got a couple um, bands as well that are going to come down um, and and perform there. So that that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, that's going to be and later kind of in the day. Yeah, and if anyone hasn't uh, listened to the uh, last Collector Cast episode, they, they do a whole segment. Um, I think the whole show is about Retro World Expo, and they talk about the bands. And um, Bill, who's uh, one of their members and one of our members at RF Generation, um, is helping out with the show, and they do a full cast just about uh, Retro World Expo. So if you're interested in the bands, you know, um, please um, Google uh, Retro World Expo, go to the website, and, um, you know, check out all the, the guests and everything and, and, and everyone that's coming. I think, um, um, that actually, it's, it's a great lineup of guests. A lot of the guys from uh, RetroWare will be there. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the gaming historian, Norm, which is right. great. Um I mean, it's great that all those people are pretty much local, so we'll mm-hmm. be able to see them and hang out with them. All right, right. Um, yep, and um, and I've already spoken to you about uh, holding one of your little Metroid things over to the side for me. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Metroid no. tubes. Yeah, I, I wanted to get one of those several months ago. Um, well, go ahead, and uh, Russ, if you want to, you can go ahead. Uh, Russ has his own YouTube channel, so I'm going to let him go ahead and uh, plug that. And I believe you had your, your own Etsy site, correct? Yeah, I had posted a few of the... Um metroid capsules on the etsy site um and i had sold on there one of the flux capacitor um replicas as well um but being at the expo is probably going to really push everything forward um the name of my company is pretty much uh called power up customs mm-hmm. um i got a little mushroom logo and it has like glasses on kind of like how i wear glasses <laughs> so this is where you're like okay that's kind of like russ and then i do the youtube channel um it's just russ lyman i keep it simple um with my yep. name and that's how kind of i open up every video i go hey guys russ lyman here and then go yeah. into my video so that's kind of my like my catchphrase i guess yeah yeah it's awesome i really love the uh uh the game hunting videos that you guys do those are a lot of fun to watch I yeah really enjoy those I, and, and I, your, your, your round table talk as well is cool yeah, because working at the video game store, someone had the idea of like, hey, let's let's do a podcast, like, because we work at a game store, and I was like, okay, like, let's get it together. So I've been trying to release one every single Friday, a podcast episode, and then Mondays do a random video on my YouTube channel, whether it's game hunting, I do DIY stuff on making, uh, I did like a shifter knob out of a mushroom tin for your car. Yep, or, Donkey Kong barrel, I remember that. Yep, I took a beer keg, made it a Donkey Kong barrel. Um, so there's a whole lot to, uh, take in on, on my site. Like if you check it out, YouTube slash Russ Lyman and there's videos every week and yeah, hopefully it stays interesting. I got a little GoPro camera, so I'm going to be taking that around retro world. I'll probably put out, you know, a good 40 minute video on that. Yeah. I just got one as well. So, um, I may be, uh, doing a little filming while I'm up as well. So that'd be awesome. And And then also that, uh, go ahead. I was going to say also, um, as a special treat, um, at Retro World, we're going to be displaying my um, Mario car. Oh yeah! That's oh, right. I was about to say you better bring the car. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. That that's that just like that made my day. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be somewhere. I don't know where we're going to park it. I've been talking to Bill because I was like, well, I have to bring all the stuff I'm going to sell 
and park my car inside like and have time to go back to Bill's house to hang out with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll make it work, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we don't sleep cars, for, for a day, then, hey, it'll be worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, and, uh, and speaking of uh, DIYs and, and custom stuff, you have uh, something pretty special lined oh, up for uh, for this playthrough. Yeah. I mean, um, I get a lot of custom um, vinyl overlays for Nintendo controllers, and I had a, a slew of different games, and I was going through them, and I happened to find um, one for this game here that we're playing this month of Little Nemo. And I was like, hey, it'd be perfect if I can customize a controller and kind of do it as a giveaway for all the people that participate it. Cool. Cool. So, what's the uh, what's the contest? You guys uh, were talking about this in secret. I wasn't included on this. I'm feeling a little left out. So, uh, what what's the contest? Have we figured that out yet? Or I think at first we were gonna do um, kind of like whoever beat the game and kind of put it into a pool of that. Ah, okay. um, but I think uh, since we only had um, so few people playing it, um, it probably wouldn't be fair because only so many people beat it. I think it was only like two or three people. Um, I figured just anyone that compete it, I'll just throw your name into a ram- randomizer. We'll spin it and uh, see who comes up. Yeah, that's that's the most fair way to uh, to do things. Yeah, yeah. We actually had six participants this month, including the three of us. And actually, we had, believe it or not, we had four people beat the game. So we had four out of six. That's that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's good pretty for good Nemo. <laughs> that's that's really good for Nemo. And we'll talk about. Of course, we're going to talk about why in this podcast, so, uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, but before we get too far along, I'm going to let Floyd uh, introduce the game. Now, this was um, this was August's retro playthrough, Little Nemo on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Take it away, Floyd. All right. So, um, as, as some of you may remember, um, I was a little bit indecisive as to whether I wanted to play uh, Little Nemo or Star Tropics, so we kind of put it to right. a vote to the RF Gen community, mm-hmm. and uh, Little Nemo came on top. Um, I guess people love their uh, Capcom platformers, and, and I mean that's that's totally understood. They're they're fantastic games. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Little Nemo, aka Pajama Hero Nemo, which I don't know why we didn't call that in the call that this in the <laughs> West. I mean that's an awesome name. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was released by Capcom in 1990, uh, and it's based off of a Japanese animated film from Tokyo movie Shinsha uh, that's called Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, yep. uh, which is based off of a comic strip by what's uh, Windsor, Windsor McKay, right. and that comic strip is called Just Little Nemo in Slumberland. Right, right. So as sort of the name implies, all of these levels take place um, within Nemo's dreams. And the goal is to save the King of Slumberland from the Nightmare King. And in order to do this, Nemo's got to collect a set number of keys to unlock the door to the next level. Um, but it's not super straightforward. I mean, you have to uh, utilize some some animals to, to help you out and... Uh, you feed them candy, and once you feed them enough candy, they fall asleep. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, the, and then this is where the game gets weird. It's um, it's, it's a strange game. <laughs> yeah, it it really is. I mean, um, according to the research that I've done, uh, Nemo quote rides these animals, but when I played, I thought he was getting inside these animals' skin. Um, 
And I think Rich said that like he wears the animals as pajamas or something. No, that's what I think. That's what someone on the thread said. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I put right. that in my well, notes. Sorry for getting that wrong. <laughs> no, no, um, no. Uh, I put that in my notes that someone had mentioned that uh, you know that these are like just pajamas that he's putting on, and I'm like, eh, it's. I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know if they're like straight up pajamas because they're like, they're 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 alive before you feed them candy and put them to sleep. Sure. <laughs> I mean, technically, he only gets on top of the uh, the ape and the um, the little lizard. All the other ones, it like he takes on the full form of the uh, animal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he gets on the um, he gets on the hermit crab as well and the mouse. Oh, that's right. I forgot about those guys in the later levels. Yeah. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. flounder. Did, did any of you use the flounder in the game? The fish in the water level? I don't think I did. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I barely remember seeing it. And I think it was one of those one of those things that, like, you see it and you're like, oh, that's an enemy. I just need to stay away from that. So, you know, you just don't really realize if there's this sort of, like, fish. They call it a flounder. And it has, like, these boxing gloves. But um, as I was... Um, compiling this list of uh, the different costumes um, just so that I didn't forget any I-, I noticed it on there and so I had to actually look up a video and kind of watch it and see someone use that flounder so yeah it was one of those you just you just kind of miss and I think um, you know one that wasn't very necessary for the game to progress you know what I mean mm-hmm. just kind of tacked on yeah yeah so before we get too far, I just want to go ahead and list the participants. I mentioned that there were six and that four of us actually finished. Um, let's see, Floyd, of course, Akari Niku uh, played the game, uh, Jerry Greenwood, uh, Russ, of course, who's with us, uh, Schlibby, who is actually one of our newest members uh, from the United Kingdom, and we're really happy to have him playing along. So if you're listening, uh, thanks for playing with us, and we hope to see you in upcoming months as well. Uh, he's been... Um, of course, everyone knows that I'm I'm the uh, the editor of the site, and I do a lot of the the thank yous for each month to uh, for people who uh, submit to our database at RF Generation, and uh, he's he's been really knocking it out of the park the last few months with the uh, with the submission. So we really appreciate uh, you doing that on that end, and just go ahead and give you a shout out while we're here as well. And of course, right. I played the game. So and don't forget to thank Schlibby in British English. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I don't know how to do that, but all right. I don't know. You might have to look up some Monty Python stuff. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so as Floyd mentioned, the um, the story kind of starts out. Uh, he, he mentioned the story, you rescue King Morpheus in this story from the Nightmare King. That's sort of the ultimate goal, but you, you really don't figure that out until after level seven. Um, the story kind of starts out with you're visited by this messenger, um, and she lets you know that the princess wants you to play with her, right? That mm-hmm. uh, she wants you to be her playmate. And you're kind of like, oh, a girl? I don't want to play with a girl. Because we then, all know girls have cooties. Yeah, exactly. Until this messenger gives you candy, which is kind of creepy. I mean, yeah. you know. And then she gives you candy. She's like, oh, here's some candy. I'm going to leave now. Now you have to go through these like seven stages of um, hellacious uh, platforming to get to the princess to speak with her in Slumberland. Which so is which is kind was of it odd. was it really candy? It, it could have been. Uh, I, I'm it, not sure. I, 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 you know, when someone gives me candy, I'm usually getting in a van, and um, I'm just <laughs> wondering why. <laughs> I'm just wondering why. You know, we just didn't get in her van, and you know, she just drive us to the princess instead of having to do all this laborious platforming uh, in order to uh, continue the story. So right. <laughs> 
but as but as Floyd mentioned, um, you know, the game is a it's a platforming game, and and sort of the purpose is to to find these keys as you're going, and these keys are kind of spread throughout the levels, um, um, and it, it's these sort of open levels, right, Russ? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of exploration um, for each level, and you have to use multiple of the animals to reach certain keys because maybe you can't jump as high and need to get the frog suit to reach the key. Mm-hmm. I'd say the only downside with it is you don't know how many keys you need for each level until you get to the door. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of this unknown number, and it varies per level. I mean, some levels have five. I think some have six, some have seven. I like um, one, I got to the end, and like all six keys were just right at the end. You're just going down a hill. It's like, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. There you go. <laughs> I think that's Cloud Ruins. I think that's the sixth level, Cloud Ruins. You don't have to collect any keys along the way because it's sort of like this this platforming level that kind of um, is sort of um, upwards and downwards scrolling has these two parts that are yeah. um, kind of uh, kind of tough uh, portions of the game, which... You know, if if you played Little Nemo before, you know that this uh, this game is no stranger to tough, uh, and no. it's something I think we um, we knew before we uh, started the playthrough, right, Floyd? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, but it, I mean, I th- I think it's so uh, beloved by by gamers that you know I think um, they they overlook the difficulty. Sure. Because it's just it's a very fun game. Yeah, it is. Um, but it, it's. You know, it's it's a lot different from a lot of the games that we're used to, and I know, like you said before, um, a, a part of the reason I think a lot of people pick this game is probably because it, it's it's not one of the more well known games on the Nintendo Entertainment System. I would say people who know the Nintendo know the game, or mm-hmm. have at least heard of the game, but there's probably not a lot of people who've actually played the game. Would would you say that's kind of a fair assessment, guys? No, no, that I think that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I would yeah. say they like, oh, it's on their shelf. They're like, yeah, Capcom, the cover art looks great. It's like, yeah, that's a fun game. It's like, but did you really play it? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, I, like it's it's sort of got that like brand recognition thing going on. Exactly. And I, I think we got that. And I, I think we got that from some of the participants in our playthrough. Um, and, and some of them had actually played it before. But um, I, I think it was a little frustrating popping in this game. Because as we know, Capcom is is known for their platformers, you know, as well as, you know, their fighters like Street Fighter 2. Um, but, you know, they're known for having these great platformers. I mean, is, you know, Capcom, you know, uh, developed Mega Man, uh, you know, probably the most well-known game by Capcom. And, you know, several other platformers like uh, the Disney platformers that are on the uh, the uh, Nintendo are like DuckTales, Darkwing Duck. Mickey's Mouse Capades. Uh, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, um, Little Mermaid. I mean, list goes on and on. They developed all of those games, and all of them um, were, were really good games. Um, you know, great platformers, a lot of fun. But Nemo's a little different. I mean, Nemo is this sort of tough as nails um, game with with you know really rigorous and tough gameplay. Um, I think Floyd, you mentioned before that. Um, the repops on these uh, enemies are, you know, because you're because you're going back and forth, right? As Russ yeah. mentioned, the levels are yeah, wide I open. I did mention that. Um, <clears throat> uh, like I basically said that uh, you have to really commit to every move you make because if you want to backtrack or if you want to 
move to the left to maybe reposition for a jump and you happen to scroll the screen even a little bit to the left, you can cause enemies to respawn. Right. It's And you're right. I mean, I think that's a great way to describe it. You have to be very precise in your movement. You have to make decisions like on the fly and quick. You have to you have to know how the enemies move, how the enemies react, but at the same time you can't hesitate because if you hesitate you're going to you're going to die. I mean there's there's no doubt about it. Um, mm-hmm. the game is not without its limitations. I mean jumping in this game is is not fluid. It's it's difficult. You don't jump very high. Um, when you jump to clear an enemy, you barely clear the enemy, right? <laughs> if you yeah. if you in fact do make it. Yeah, no, I I often found myself almost just like mistiming the jumps just by a little bit so that I didn't really sort of just clear over them. I kind of went head on into them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm going to just it, take the hit on purpose. <laughs> it's like, let yeah. me just get through here. I know there's a health bar up front. or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I wasn't trying to damage boost, but right, right. that's kind of what happened un, 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 unintentionally a lot of the time. Right, and with this game too, I mean, like you said, uh, you you've got candy, and you can throw candy at enemies, but the candy doesn't damage enemies. I mean, no matter how many times you hit them, it doesn't damage them; it only stuns them. And and mm. I think I brought this up in the thread, but you know, a lot of times using candy and stunning an enemy is the worst thing you can do because you're actually um, you're kind of breaking up that flow of the game. And it, it kind of throws your timing off in a, in a way. Or, or at least I felt that way. I don't know how you guys felt. No, no, that's fair. Because, like, they kind of basically just freeze where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. kind of, like, are going back and forth, kind of like a little judder. Right. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, definitely, like, if, if you are got a good flow of running and hopping over and you happen to stun them, then you're just going to get hit by them. Then another enemy's going to come hit you again and you're going to be dead soon. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like the whole thing is getting into a good rhythm, right? And um, I mean, probably just like uh, like the um, Mega Man games is, is like you got to get into a good rhythm. Like you kind of just get into the, the the groove of of you know the all the platforming. At at the same time, you know you have to you have to really use your resources in this game, and you don't you don't do a lot of well, you, you, I don't feel like you do a lot of solo sort of platforming in this game. You're always you're always at some point using a companion, especially, you know, after you get through the first level. Um, you know, these, these companions um, become necessary or these, you know, taking on these, um, these, these animals. No matter, I don't know, Floyd, I mean, you know, we've heard pajamas and, you know, different sorts of things. But it, it seems like you kind of take on the persona of these animals. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. um, you know, um, you have to exploit these animals and use them at the right times to... Um, to play the game. I mean, it is sort of, in an essence, it is a platformer, but it, it does have elements of being a puzzle game as well, because mm-hmm. you, you have to use the right combination of animals at the right time in the right spots, because if you don't, you're going to be doing some backtracking, <laughs> which, yeah, is, that's right. which is not fun in this game, um, because some of the levels, I think someone mentioned some of the levels do have checkpoints, and, and some of them don't, and one of the things that was sort of tough for me with the checkpoints is... If I did have to backtrack, if I got to the door and I was like, "Oh man, I still need one more key," if I had to backtrack and I died, sometimes that would that would start me at the beginning of the level, because there's certain spots where the backtracking sort of cuts off. It's not like, "Oh, um, 
you know, like with, let's say, like Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, you like, you cut the tape, and then every time you die, you know, you're going to start at that spot. And that's right. not the way mm-hmm. it is on this game. Uh, yeah, uh, so there's sort of like um, predetermined uh, respawn points. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, you know, kind of getting back to the, the animals in this game, um, they all have different attributes. Some of them can attack. Some of them can't. Um, uh, some of them are just for, you know, manipulating um, the environment, uh, like the lizard for one. Uh, he, he can jump, um, but, you know, he can stick to walls and climb walls and things like that, but he has no attack ability, um, like the, you know, the gorilla or the lizard um, or several of the other uh, animals that you can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I find that somewhat aggravating at times, but you know it, it's. It, on the other hand, it's nice to have some variation to the game, and 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 knowing this, uh, uh, like the gorilla, for instance, he, you typically have a, um, a three space life bar, but when you get the gorilla, it goes up to five, right? So he's a, he's a little bit yeah. tougher. You can take a few more hits. I I think that's one of the things that. Um made me find this game a little tougher initially because I I kind of expected every companion animal to have some sort of um, like offensive move mm-hmm. um, but uh, no they some of them are just for like traversal yeah yeah I think that's why I I'd say probably my favorite animal would be um, the bee okay because you could fly with them and he shoots his stinger so that's that works good. You can hit enemies that are low and high, and you can get to high places. Yeah, I, I like the bee, um, but even with the bee, he's got his limitations. I mean, you can shoot enemies with the stinger, but often you have to hit them at least two to three times. Yeah. Which, which is kind of hard to hover and shoot at the same time. Plus, you, you can only hover for so long you get tired. Yeah, that's definitely a stop. downfall. That that was a tough, um, tough call on the... Uh, cloud ruin stage where you had to use him and you had to go up while the level is scrolling up and you had to stop on little clouds to kind of reset your timer or whatever it is so you can fly longer <laughs> absolutely and you have those vultures dropping the eggs on you and yeah that that was that was one of the tougher parts of the game i thought yeah but uh but yeah uh how about you floyd uh any favorite animal for you um i don't know um I, I think I uh, I really like the the frog because at least to me it felt like he he moved very fluidly mm-hmm. a little slow um, he he was kind of slow um, he was pretty decent in the water um, but uh, right. because it is a platforming game like he had a very good jumping ability mm-hmm. so, and you could jump so on that, enemies uh, too so that helped out absolutely. a lot absolutely. Yeah, and he can kind of like belly flop on enemies, which was good. Right, right. Gives you that uh, Super Mario factor, right? You can just land on top of things and take it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which was nice. I, I like that one too. I, I, I like, I like the hermit crab a lot. I mean, it wasn't a very useful animal, uh, except for some parts where you had to go and get the key or or crawl under a boat or, y- you know, that that was the only sort of means for that. Um, animal to be in the game but i still thought it was cool you know just really neat like aesthetically um and, and kind of fun to use i really like that uh, the ability to sort of dig in the sand like that that was fun and speaking of digging in the sand i mean kind of a shame some of these characters weren't used a lot i know the mole was used one time on the first board i thought it was a little bit of a shame yeah the gorilla was only used once right yeah, i think so yeah all right 
the hermit crab, one board. I, I mentioned the flounder. There's only one of those in the entire game. Um, but, you know, you had a few that were the frog, the bee, the lizard, um, and, and the mouse came in a few times, though you didn't get him till late in the game. So, but, uh, uh, we had so, one of our we had one of our members, uh, Schlibby, uh, who I spoke of earlier. He um, he had a quote. He said, "I find many of the animals are a hindrance, especially the ones that keep sticking to the walls when you don't <laughs> want them to." Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, that was a great observation. I can't imagine which one he's uh, or which two animals he's speaking of, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like, even I, I I wonder if it's like is it because those animals are like just very sticky to the walls or just like maybe imprecise controls or what i'm curious i I probably it's a bit with the imprecise controls or or something to that factor because i know what you're using the mouse the hit detection with his hammer is terrible Mm -hmm. yeah so so probably it it carries over to you jumping like oh you didn't really want to stick on that wall (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just had to spam that hammer a lot of times i know that there was one board and i'm not sure i think it was uh topsy-turvy where the, the turtles are spitting out the shells uh, near the uh, upper kind of left corner of that board. And I just had to just spam that hammer so I could hit those shells as they were uh, flying overhead. Because no there was no way to jump them because uh, his, his jump ability was so terrible. So, But, uh, but anyway, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the... Looks like we've spoken about the platforming and the, uh, the characters and the gameplay pretty well. Um, Again, just your kind of basic platformer, some jumping every once in a while, um, and um, a, a little bit of a lone platforming when you get to like the later levels, uh, which is which is kind of nice. You don't have to worry about keys and and things like that so much, and you don't have to depend uh, a, a whole lot on your uh, animal companions for that part of the game. So, but um, let's see. We spoke about the areas a little bit. We talked about how they were free ranging. Um, there were two scrolling areas in the game, uh, which were uh, some of the tougher levels, I thought. How did you guys fare on the uh, in the House of Toys, for instance? I think that's where a lot of people get to and then give up and put the game back on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can, uh, I can see that. I, yeah. I, I have to agree with that. Yeah, It's just a lot of memorizing patterns of when you should mm-hmm. jump and when you should not like go near the planes and run forward and then jump back and just trial and error. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, for those of you who maybe are listening to this, but haven't played the game, uh, the third level house of toys is a, um, is actually a moving train that you're on top of. And, uh, as it's moving there, uh, it's, uh, going under spike ceilings and blocks are coming by and at the same time you're sort of getting dive bombed by uh, these like kamikaze airplanes <laughs> and then also um, these little sort of parachute things are dropping bombs on you overhead as well so um, it, it's very chaotic um, it has a very high risk reward system if you want to try to uh, uh, to, to get your life up, you can, but um, you are uh, you're really risking a lot by doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And so that was one of the um, the sort of the moving boards, um, and then you also had cloud ruins, which we we've spoken about a few times. Being uh, that was stage six, um, the first part of that you have to um, get the bee suit and you have to fly up on the clouds. And as we mentioned before, the the bee can only go so far before. Um, it runs out of power, and before 
and and you lose control of it. So you have to land on these clouds and have all these enemies around you. And then the second part of that level involves actually falling down onto clouds as the screen scrolls downward. So it actually, I, 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 I say oh, go going ahead. going upwards. Uh, it actually helped out hitting some of the enemies because it would boost you upward. Uh huh. So yeah. then this way you could get to the platform before you ran out of flight power. Yeah. What did you have more difficulty with? Was it, would it be was it the one going up or was it the one coming down? Yeah, definitely going up. Uh, going yeah. down. It's it's it seemed like on going down you can stay off the screen for a bit without getting killed and kind of right. drop off and hit the uh hit the platform. Yeah, we kind of push you down and you could manipulate yourself when you were falling too. So that was nice. I mean, that was a nice little addition to the game. If you you know, some games if you if you fall off a platform and you don't jump as you fall off a platform, you can't move. But with Little Nemo, you can actually manipulate and sway, you know, which way you're going to fall. So I thought that was kind of a nice little addition and something they added to the game, um, which, which made areas like that a little bit easier, right? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes it, it could help you out, too, when you were in the bee costume and uh, you are kind of floating downwards. Um, you could, you could kind of manipulate and maybe land um, so you wouldn't fall into a pit, which was nice. Um. Let's see. Um, we talked about the checkpoints already. Um, enemies. What do we think about the enemies, guys? I mean, was it um, too difficult, just right? Um, My absolutely, I would say, hatest enemy <laughs> in the entire game. <laughs> I think we can all probably agree on what enemy that's going to be. Was the, the ones that fall from the sky that look like Jack Skeleton, kind of <laughs> like his head? <laughs> the seedlings, right? And they follow you everywhere, and I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you have to really learn their, um, what they do is they kind of float over you, and once they get to a certain level, they'll get a bead on your, get a bead on you, and then they'll just fall straight down, but it takes them a while to do that, so that's, that's one of those enemies you really have to, um, to learn how to, um, adapt to, which, which is tough, especially when you're on the, uh, the smaller platforms in the game. Uh, there, there's not a lot of room to move in your hitboxes. It is is sort of clunky and big in this game, so mm-hmm. it, it makes it very tough. Yeah, I, I think um, all the enemies had some sort of pattern that, like, you really had to learn in order to sort of keep yourself out of harm's way. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, some of the, some of the more annoying enemies for me were the um, uh, the sort of the flying squirrels. I know those were on like the train level. I could really never get those guys down pat. I think I finally made it through that train level. Just, just got, just got lucky that they were flying because they would drop down and depending on like where you were at, they would kind of swoop at you, you know. But if you were too high, it might fly at your head and you, you'd have to duck and that, that would just kind of cross me up, you know, when I was playing with my controls. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, Let's talk a little bit about the difficulty of the game. We mentioned that. Um, this is one of the harder games out there for the Nintendo. And um, I think I think it kind of got got into some people that, that it was so difficult. Um, I just want to know kind of what you thought of, guys thought about the difficulty. Was it was is the game like unbearably hard? Is it too hard or is you feel like the difficulty is just right? Hmm. Um I won't say that it's it's too hard. Um, I think it really is just a matter of learning how to play the game just like mm-hmm. elegantly and, and like masterfully. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so so I guess in, in that case the, the the difficulty is sort of like just appropriate for for a good challenge um, and and to like really make you um, adapt and and become good at it yeah. I think Come probably on. a lot of people go into it knowing it's a Capcom game and they're like all right I'm gonna play this like DuckTales or Mega Man and kind of <laughs> blast through it and you really need to take your time and you know it, the game wants you to explore and find the keys and kind of plan out where you're gonna go mm-hmm. so that's why I think mm-hmm. people give up so fast and they kind of get to the train level and they're like all right I had enough forget it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> that that was me actually <laughs> It's frustrating. I mean, it is a frustrating game, no doubt. I mean, and as Floyd mentioned, and, and something that I mentioned on the forums, when when people are getting a little frustrated with the game, um, and, and this is something I, I really enjoy about the playthroughs, one of my favorite things is that to see someone who's like entirely frustrated and hating a game, and then like by mid or the end of the month, they've kind of changed their tune. They're sort of like, Oh wait, you know, you know what? This wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I've kind of learned the game now, and mm-hmm. and I think this le- this game has a, a sort of high level of learning, a high learning curve. I mean, especially if you're so used to playing these sort of Capcom platformers, that it does have a high learning curve, and and you know how everything works, how the enemies behave, how the the animal companions work um how you jump or lack of jump right yeah that's right no like you really you really do have to learn how to mm-hmm. play this game yeah you have to master all these little things to in turn master the entire game mm-hmm. so but uh and, and, but one of the one of the cool things about the game that someone pointed out i didn't have this problem i, I played on my retron i played this game on my retron so i could use save state so i could play it um you know, start at the beginning of levels uh, uh, each night. But there's actually a code in this game. Does anyone remember what that was? I I, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Russ? I had to keep going back to the post. It was something like um, like left, right, (laughs) select, BA, or something like that. Right, right. And and it will actually, if you you die, it'll start you at the beginning. um, Or or actually, it lets you select stages, doesn't it? And that's what the code does. So if you cut the system off, the, the game has unlimited continues, which is nice. The game is so brutal. If they didn't make unlimited continues, I, I think a lot of people would have put the game down a long time ago. I probably <laughs> would have. I probably would have one of those people. But at least the developers are kind enough to do that, and they did put a code into the game where you can do a stage select. So if you've made it to like stage three or four, you can put that code in and you know go ahead and start um, where you left off, which yeah, is it, which is nice. It opens up um, on the title screen. It says uh, Dream Mode. <laughs> and then the only downside is that you have to hit um, select and it just makes a beep so you okay. have to count how many beeps like what stage you're at okay stick six and count the beeps okay that's stage six and hit start right yeah well there was a lot of complaining about the difficulty of the game <laughs> which I think again I think a lot of people you know really learn to, to appreciate the game as the month went along and I was I was really happy to see that, and that's again, that's one of the cooler things, um, you know, seeing people struggle with games that I was struggling with when I was younger. You know, when I was playing these games for the first time, it's kind of fun because you're kind of like, yeah, I remember. I mean, it's one of the things. Even as a young kid, I remember about the game 
was how hard it was. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. hard that you remember, you have that memory. But, you know, I remember just plugging through it and, you know, keeping on and keeping on until, you know, you know, my friend and I, we, we, we got it right. And um, that's just what we did back then. And, and it's and it's good to see people reach, you know, have that accomplishment and, and, and really appreciate that. So that was, that's really cool. Um, yeah, that, you know, that, that sort of that tenacity and, you know, also just like supporting each other. Exactly. That's a good point. You know, helping each other out on the forums. I mean, that's what it's all about. And that that's why we do it, right? I mean, that's that's the best thing about playing the playthrough with all these guys. Um, it's a lot of fun talking about the games and, and, you know, talking about what we like, but also in, um, you know, kind of giving each other hints and things like that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's always nice when, when somebody's sharing like tips and tricks and mm-hmm. it's like my- it's it's not competitive at all. Like everybody's everybody's buddies. On the oh, side. yeah. I was going to say it's similar to like growing up when you went to the playground and talked to your friends like, hey, I'm playing this game, <laughs> Little Nemo. Like, oh, I made it past the train thing. You got to do this. And you're like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, we're, you know, good or bad, we're in this world of technology where, you know, uh, not a lot of people can couch co-op anymore. I, I've, I've been lucky like recently. I've got a buddy that comes over every Thursday now. Um, and, and we just, we just play games and, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, it reminds me of being a kid and, you know, just, just popping in all these new games and titles. And, um, of course we didn't have this many game, this many games and titles when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> maybe had like three games growing up. Uh, so there, things have changed, but it's just nice just to sit around with someone and, you know, have that sense of community. And I think for, uh, you know, for better or worse, it, it's not the same, but at least we're, you know, we have that sort of community where we can kind of support each other and, and have, a, you know, a semblance of, you know, what it was to kind of grow up back then. And that's, that's what I like about the playthroughs a lot. No, I, I think that's perfect. I mean, that that really is sort of what we do and why we do it in a nutshell. Yep. Well, moving on from the difficulty and things that people didn't like about the game, let's talk about something that it seemed that everyone seemed to think the game did very well, and that was the music. Um, oh, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about sort of the history behind the music. Um, the composer, her name is Junko Tamiya, uh, she was a Capcom composer. Um, she had several aliases, Swimmer, Tamichan, Gondaman, and Gone. Any of you care to guess why she had aliases or used aliases? Maybe so Capcom wouldn't get mad at her working on other projects? Absolutely. That, that's exactly right. Uh, actually, Capcom did not put the... Um, uh, the composers in the credits of most of their games, and so they would have to use these sort of fake names so that other uh, companies wouldn't try to steal uh, their music composers. So I, th- I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. I'm sure no, that, that's really cool. Like I'm I'm learning that for the first time, and, yeah. and like that that is so cool. Yeah, and 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 it's the reason for a lot of games that were made over in Japan. A lot of games they're still trying to you know. You'll hear a lot of times, oh, we think so-and-so composed this, we're not sure. Or, you know, they're, they're trying, now people are trying to track down and figure out who composed the music for um, all these different scores in these video games uh, because, uh, you know, they wouldn't let them do that. And I, I don't know, there, there's probably some union against this now. 
it sounds pretty cool to get to make up your own alias, but at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, you can't go out and look for other work. Kind of stinks, you know? Or, no, yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> you can't build a portfolio. <laughs> uh, and um, she was a, a very famous composer. She did um, some of these games may sound familiar. She did uh, Tiger Road, the arcade game, Bionic Commando for the Nintendo. Gunsmoke for the Nintendo, one of my favorite games on the system. Uh, the Strider arcade game, the Final Fight arcade game, um, the Sweet Home CD. Now, I'm not sure um, the site I looked at, I'm not sure she did the music for the Famicom game. It just said CD, so I'm assuming maybe she did some of the arrangements for the music uh, for some CD that was published for the game. I'm hmm. not sure. Um, and among others. So I'd like to hear you guys take on the music for Little Nemo. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it definitely gets you pumped up as soon as you start the uh, the first level. It's got, you know, a good beat to it, and you're like, okay, yeah. I can definitely go with this. Yeah, yeah. Catchy, you be humming it after you finish playing it, shut it off. You're like, yep. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, it's it's like the perfect sort of, you know, chiptune soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it's well, of course, you know, Capcom, they're not known for being slouches when it comes to music, right? I mean, not at all. <laughs> so they, they usually have great music in their games. Um, one of the things I, I was sort of doing the research today for the podcast, and I, I don't know if you guys saw what I posted up on the thread, but the music as I was listening to it, I, I tend not to listen to music a lot when I'm playing the games. I mean, some tunes are really catchy and memorable from my childhood. Uh, Mega Man 2, uh, the music for that being one of those games. But usually when I'm playing, I'm so focused on playing, I'm not really listening to the music. So it's nice to have things like YouTube to be able to go back and sort of, uh, you know, listen to the music for all the stages. Um, and, and one of the things I, I kind of noticed was this this sort of sound that I sort of remember, and you guys might have remembered from like going to the circus or, um, you know, at, at other times in your life, uh, this sort of calliope music. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I think so. I think I have a... Pretty good idea. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of like organ, like, um, and they were originally made with like steam, so this like this sort of like steam whistle kind of sound, and someone sits at it and usually plays a piano, and it, and it sounds sort of like, you know, what you would typically hear at like a circus or a carnival or something like that. And as I was playing this game, especially the first several levels, um, you know, up and through almost through Nightmare World, um, it has a sort of calliope sound to it, and I guess, you know, you associate things like calliope with circuses and, you know, carnivals and things like that, which are all sort of childhood things, right? These things you kind of just enjoy, you know, as a kid, going to the fair and mm -hmm. things like that. And so I think that, you know, probably with this game, you know, kind of being based around a kid, you know, it, it sort of fits really well with the theme. That's just kind well, of my I, opinion on it. I, I was going to say that I think that's... That was probably intentional. Sure. Because, um, I mean, like, I, I think it's supposed to be sort of like kitty circusy themed i mean like even just look at uh the design of the messenger sure right it's kind of like a clown absolutely absolutely so i thought the music fit really well with the game um was it my favorite music of any game probably not i mean um i i thought it, i thought it was above average but it wasn't i don't know i, I didn't think it was anything like Super impressive, you know, like, you know, so the beats and, you know, Mega Man uh, 2 or, you know, games of that nature. But, you know, still, 
really well done, and you know it was a great effort and mm-hmm. something something really cool about the game. So, so how do you think this game sort of holds up? I mean, we we've talked about um, you know it being a Capcom game and having these sort of expectations, but how do you guys think it holds up as far as other platformers of the era? Hmm. I mean, it definitely is not like the worst platformer. I ever played that came out around that time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you give that distinction or title to? Um, Maybe, does Dash Galaxy count? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that counts as a game, period. (laughs) The game's pretty awful. (laughs) I remember remember watching a video of Billy and Jay struggling through that. Wow, what a bunch of nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's definitely held high because it... It's made by Capcom, and sure. everyone's going to think Mega Man, like, perfected platformer. That's how it's going to be. And mm-hmm. you go in with that, like, thinking it, and you're like, wait, nope. It doesn't play like that. I have to play this game differently. And once you get used to it, I mean, it's it's fine. Sure, sure. It does take a lot of getting used to, though. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with, uh, with Russ, because it really... It really uh, depends on what sort of expectations you're bringing. Sure. Um, like when you start the game. Yeah, if you're, if you're used to playing like Rescue Rangers and, you know, it's kind of fast paced running around and sure. you can mm-hmm. kill a lot of the enemies, this, you're more, you want to avoid the enemies as much mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah, it's more of a stealth game in, in, in essence. I mean, you're not, you're not taking out a lot of enemies. You're just, you know, sort of avoiding them. Yeah, too. yeah, and that like that—that's why I, I say it's like really, uh, really rhythmical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of our members, Akari Nuku, um, Akari Niku. I'm sorry, I keep pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, he said about the game, and I, and I thought this was really interesting and really telling, and, and something I really liked. And he he says, "Little Nemo really gives you the feeling of being a kid lost in a strange land. You're small, weak, alone." Everything is bigger and stronger than you. <laughs> I think that's, I think <laughs> that's, that's really well put. Yeah, that sums up well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, re- I really like that quote, and 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 he's right. Everything is bigger and stronger than you, and it, it just goes along with what we were talking about. I mean, just this this sense of, um, you know, you're a kid. You're not able to take these things out. You're not able to, you know, be violent or, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you have to work your way up to that, right? You have to, you have to wait until the, the nightmare world before you get the uh, the weapon, the Morning Star, right? Which is yep. just sort of a uh, sort of a magic wand of sorts mm-hmm. uh, to take out enemies. So we we've talked a little bit about some of the stages. Um, what did you guys think about Nightmare World? I mean, that's sort of uh, kind of a different take on the game, right? Yeah, it definitely turns darker and uh, cranks up the difficulty. Mm-hmm. Music changes too. No more of that happy calliope music that we were um, hearing. Uh, in the beginning, it's more the music is more dark. It's more sinister. Um, uh, there's a lot more kind of solo platforming. Still, some use of the um, of the uh, animals, but not as much as before. I didn't. I didn't think you don't have to search out keys. You just have to really platform and make it through the level, right? Yeah, I like that aspect. This is like, all right, you just got to focus on hitting these jumps right. Mm-hmm. And this is the also the the only time that you see bosses in the game, which I thought was an interesting choice to put them at the end of the game like this. You have you have three bosses. The first one is the uh, the King Penguin. The second one is the Fire Stingray, and the third, of course, is the uh, the Nightmare King's ultimate goal is to beat him. 
Um, how did you how did you guys feel about these bosses? Any that you liked in particular, disliked, or um, did you like the um, the gameplay with the boss fights because it kind of totally changed uh, the game? Yeah, I mean, it was cool that you finally got like a weapon to defend yourself with. Yeah, and I guess it was an interesting uh, concept to make it. It only shoots in an arc, so you really have to plan how you're attacking the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it fires diagonally, right? Right. Instead of like shooting like Mega Man's Mega Buster like straight on, and you could just jump and fire away. This you kind of have to angle yourself a little bit further away to hit mm-hmm. the boss. Yeah, you could swing it too as well. You yeah, know, for those small enemies, but um, I know for the bigger bosses i just charged up and shot at him yeah yeah a lot of times it was basically um the game had a good sense of um letting you charge the weapon and and then doing more damage i don't know how the the game sort of calculated the damage in that sense but um definitely could end a fight sooner um if you had the weapon fully charged i felt that on the um the nightmare king i couldn't get it fully charged you just had to pop off like lots of tiny shots on him Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really learned that pattern. That was, that was, uh, that was tough. Um, but yeah, the the I even had problems with the king penguin at first, and um, I mean that that's that's a fairly straightforward and simple fight, you know. But it, with the ads and everything, and getting used to that new weapon, it, it took a little while to get used to that. And um, but but again, I, I thought it was a kind of a neat inclusion into the game. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, after you finish topsy turvy. Uh, stage seven, you, you finally you finally get uh, um, you finally find out that you you weren't sent to Slumberland to to actually uh, be the playmate of the princess. You've sort of been duped. You've been given candy and been duped, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so now, it's, oh no! You, uh, the real reason I sent you here was not to play, but to rescue you know King Morpheus, my dad. You know from the Nightmare King. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Uh, fighting this. <laughs> Very ghoulish-looking uh, Nightmare King, which is uh, who's actually pretty terrifying-looking. I mean, you know, for something you know out of a kid's dream. I mean, it's it's really well drawn. Absolutely, uh, I really love that, and uh, glad you're featuring that on the controller, Russ. Yeah, that, that's a good shot of him. Uh, <laughs> open mouth, scary, and everything. You're like, okay, uh, yeah. Well, guys, um, any kind of closing thoughts on the game? Were there any favorite stages or anything that you guys particularly liked or any types of music that you liked in the game? Um, I'd have to say um, probably the first stage is my most favorite because you really get to use a lot of the um, the animals in it. Yeah. Um, I there's, yeah, there's a lot of exploring. You get to use that cool mole and you're like digging through the earth and there's the frog and you're like, okay, this guy does this and yeah, really, it's a good introduction into what the game is going to get into. Yeah, sort of a tutorial stage, right? Yeah. yeah. That That's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Because, um, <laughs> like, it, I think it really is, like, the perfect tutorial level. Um, and, like, everything is sort of, like, explore and try things out at your own pace. Sure. Yeah, that level's not bad. It's, it's not very difficult, but, man... Once you get to Flower Garden, the second level, I probably spent more time on Flower Garden than any level in the game. Um, I, I really had a tough time with that. I don't know why, but but I did. Um, and um, I, I don't know. I think it's sort of the platforming. I think it had a lot to do with the enemies that you were talking about, the um, like the little dandelion seeds or whatever that float down, and, and getting that down pat as I'm 
as those things are falling down and I'm trying to climb that tree, you know, to get that um, the lizard or salamander at the beginning stage. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was tough. But I, I will say this, as aggravating as that level was, after going back and listening to the music of the game, it's probably my favorite music in the game, the Flower Garden. Okay. Yeah. But my favorite level in the game, I think, was the Night Sea. I really did like the inclusion of an underwater level, um, you know, maybe taking a few... Uh, Hints from Super Mario Brothers, but um, it was nice. Uh, I, I like sort of the variation in this game, the different types of levels, and I thought the swimming level in the Night Sea was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that one. I was going to point out, too, that um, how rude the parents are in between each level. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, what is that about? They're, like, yelling at, like, Nemo, like, go back to bed. And then they're, like, like why us, only our kid, or, like, something rude like that. And you're, like, what? <laughs> you guys are going to think I'm horrible, but, gosh, those parents kind of sound like me every night. <laughs> 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 Just go to bed, guys. Gosh. Why are you still up? It's 930. <laughs> oh. Uh, another well, thing I was gonna say to add on last last minute of um, this game kind of reminded me of a indie game that I just recently uh, finished and played. Oh, okay. Called uh, Tesla Grad. I haven't heard of that. Tell us yeah. about it. Um, it's pretty much it's a platformer and it kind of takes place in like the uh, the fifties, I would say. And you play as a young boy. You kind of see your dad um, gets captured by like s- some people in the city. Um, and they're kind of taking over everything, and you get this. It it looks like um, I'm pretty sure you play with like a wand, almost like as the um, huh. the Morning Star, and you get different abilities that affect like gravity and stuff like that. But I feel like that's what Little Nemo like could have been if it had um, you know better hardware on the NES. Maybe if it came out on the Super Nintendo or something like that. Okay. Okay. So is this like a, this is a Steam game? I'm assuming. Um, I mean, I downloaded it on my Wii U. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, I'm sure it's on Steam as well, um, and it was super fun. Um, oh, but cool. it kind of gave me that same atmosphere because um, I think the comic strip in in the movie of this was kind of like in the '50s era as well. Uh huh. Oh, awesome. Well, cool. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this month, uh, Russ. We really appreciate you coming on the show and tell us a little bit about the uh, the expo. And uh, I. I speak for Floyd again, but I'm uh, really interested and it's going to be awesome to meet you and hang out for a while and hopefully we can do some game hunting. I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, definitely. I said I I took the whole day off, so come to the stores I work at and we'll hit up some savers and whatnot and see what we find. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, um, I hope all of our listeners will be joining us for our September uh, retro playthrough. Uh, Next month, we're going to be playing Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, and of course, it's available on several other platforms. Um, It's kind of the game that really got the the series sort of moving ahead, and um, it was just a fantastic game on that system. There's a lot of tactical, uh, as it says, tactical espionage, right? So there's a lot of... um, Really great action scenes, great cut scenes, and just a lot of cool stealth uh, that you had to employ in the game. And uh, was one of my favorites when I was in college. And uh, hopefully, um, uh, as some of you may know, I will not be hosting it next month. Sean will be coming over to the retro side to host it. And I will be going over to the modern side uh, to do Indigo Prophecy. So 
trying to work my way through some Indigo Prophecy right now, and hopefully uh, I can jump in on Metal Gear Solid. Just such a great game, and I, I love it so much. So excited about that next month. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. And as always, happy gaming. modern side uh, for august steven chose a game that's a little more cerebral than our standard fare on the on the modern side uh steven please tell us what made you choose spec ops the line for our modern playthrough yeah well i'd uh it's a game i'd heard about a lot over the last couple of years since it came out and i'd heard that it's you know has a very interesting story, um, much more so than a lot of these, you know, kind of military third-person shooters, and uh, takes a lot of interesting twists and turns. So it's it's one that I uh, have been wanting to play uh, since it first came out. Um, didn't quite get the uh, best reception, I think, on the forum. Yeah, it's too bad. We really uh, we only had one participant other than the two of us, which was Eric Escapade over in Germany. If he's in Germany, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, he's uh he's he's awesome. I he's uh I always love when he joins in because uh his grasp on the English language is is interesting <laughs> to, <laughs> to put it mildly and I I actually like reading his writing. Um but yeah, we we didn't have too much participation here, which is a shame because this game really uh deserves uh, some attention and some uh, in-depth analysis, which hopefully you and I can can give it at this point. Uh, we've we've done some uh, incredible amounts of preparation for this show, so I hope we can kind of dig into what's going on here, because what we have is something that we don't see very often in the video game space, which is uh, a deconstruction of a genre. Uh, and it's, it's something really amazing uh, that came out in this game. So yeah, I really tried to uh, to sell it. You know, everywhere I mentioned the game, I was like, you know, it's not your typical third-person shooter. Um, you know, there's more than meets the eyes. A lot going on here. Uh, I, th- I, was, I thought I might uh, attract some attention with, with those comments, but uh, it didn't, didn't quite seem to work. So. Just, yeah, just is what it is. It's kind of really par for the course for modern playthroughs most of the time. But uh, yep, yeah, the modern uh, <laughs> we don't get no respect over here. So <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. Yep, yep. No, uh, but we're here and and we're going to talk about this this game. Uh, uh, so yeah, give us a little bit of background uh, on Spec Ops because it wasn't. It's actually uh, an, an old franchise that kind of got. I don't know if you can call it a reboot or re- revitalization, but yeah, it's um Spec Ops. There were s- several releases back in like the late nineties um, on like the I think on PC and on the PS One, um, but I think they're 
pretty different, pretty standard third person shooter fare. I haven't actually played them, so I'm not sure, but yeah, they're kind of like uh, Rainbow Six light, yeah. like a really watered down Rainbow Six kind of game. But I don't think they have the kind of narrative like the Spec Ops Align has. I don't think, no, I don't not think at it all. Comes close. Nope. But uh, Spec Ops Align was released in 2012 on PC, Xbox 360, and PS3. It was developed by Jaeger Development, which is a German company. So maybe that's why we caught Eric's uh, attention with this one. Ah, perhaps. true. Uh, published by 2K Games. Um, just uh, on the surface, it's a military cover-based third-person shooter featuring some light squad-based mechanics. Um I've heard that the story is largely inspired by a novel by the name of Heart of Darkness, although I'm not really familiar with it. Yeah, it's, uh, that's true. I, I I wanted to read this book before. I've been wanting to read this book forever. A, a lot of people have to read it in high school. I never had the, the pleasure. Um, but yeah, th- it's a very influential work uh, exploring the horrors of war basically uh the movie apocalypse now was also based on it and uh, spec ops is hugely based on it even the the character conrad is a, a tribute to the the novel's author yeah. joseph conrad yeah. so yeah i'm not really a not much of a reader myself but i guess if i ever were to pick up a uh, a book that would probably be one of the top contenders something i might check out but mm-hmm not, don't really uh, do a lot of reading on my own time. So, anyway, talk a little bit about the uh, kind of give a little story overview before we kind of dive into the the meat of the story. Um, kind of starts out with you have a small squad of Delta Force operatives sent into Dubai after a uh, series of massive stand, sandstorms has rendered the uh, city uninhabitable and just completely destroyed the city. You play as the Delta Squad leader Martin Walker. Your mission is to locate the survivors of the 33rd Brigade, brigade led by uh, Colonel Conrad. Right. Um, yeah, so that's just the setup for the story. We'll talk a little bit about the gameplay, I guess, now. Um, sure. Yeah, just uh, like we said before, just kind of standard third-person shooter fare. Um, it's, uh, kind of, I guess by most other standards, it's kind of mediocre, admittedly. Um, no, not not the best gameplay. It's not bad. It's not anything exceptional either. Um, right. It it's kind of um, it's almost like a it's it's dated because there's no a lot of the things we've talked about month after month uh, about the the modern trappings of modern video games as far as like the, uh, for example in Spec Ops there's no upgrade system there's no leveling there's no experience it really is a a bare bones cover shooter it could could, i mean mechanically it could have been a ps2 game yeah um i guess as far as like the leveling up systems and upgrades and things like i guess it didn't really occur to me while playing it although you're right it doesn't have anything like that but uh i guess sometimes those systems seem kind of contrived anyway um so i guess i didn't really mind that it didn't have that Right, and I think uh, as we get into actually the like uh, the analysis of the game, I think it would have went against like having a, a an upgrade system or a leveling mechanic would have went against the, uh, the the ambitions of the developers as far yeah, as that's a good what point. they were trying to do. So. I think a good a central theme of the game is like degradation, and so it doesn't really make sense to kind of continually upgrade. Uh, right, right. Kind of goes against that. It does feature some. Uh, 
kind of light squad based mechanics, but I feel like these were kind of tacked on really. Yeah. The, most of the time I forgot about them until the game kind of yeah. m- reminds you when it, when it pops up and says, Hey, uh, tell your guy to f- throw a flashbang here. Well, you know? I, th- I think the flashbang <laughs> things, you can only do it when you're prompted, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Otherwise right. you can assign a, a target for your um, squad mates to shoot at. Right. Uh, I think I, the first time I played it, I think I uh, completely forgot about it for like at least half the game. Um, I made better use of it later. Um, when I remembered it, but, uh, it, um, I felt like they could have done a lot more. Like maybe they could have had you like position your squad mates in certain, uh, places to sort of like, uh, set up, uh, I don't want to say ambushes, but like strategic locations for your, uh, for your allies to sort of set up and shoot at the, uh, enemies, but you can't do that. The only thing you can do is just have them, uh, shoot at your targets. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity there. Yeah, and that the, something a little deeper might have helped um, the what is basically one of the major flaws of the game. And I don't want to get too super far ahead of everything, but let's just say if 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 there were mechanics that binded Lugo Adams and Walker. Uh, closer together, it would it would make certain things uh, that happen after the twist that you realize it would make them a little bit more believable. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah. You know, we're we're talking about gameplay here, so I guess the other kind of interesting gameplay aspect is that you can uh, sort of use the environment to your advantage. Sometimes um, this game, of course, it takes place in Dubai, so it's a desert environment, and there's like sand. Uh, you know, there, there are places where you can shoot out windows and sand will pour in and, you know, cover your enemies, just bury them. Um, yeah, think- yeah, that was cool. And there's a lot of uh, also buildings that are falling apart. So there's a lot of yeah. times where uh, guys are standing on top of, uh, you know, glass platforms and you could just shoot right. out the yeah. glass and make them fall through. It's really cool. Yeah, that was always satisfying to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really make too much use of it but i think they're if you like throw a grenade in the the sand it sort of like kicks up the sand and it kind of blinds your enemies um i don't know it didn't really seem to be that effective in my opinion but it, it was it was there um but yeah it was uh th- there were places where using the sand was really cool i feel like it it, it seemed like kind of scripted though the places where you were supposed to do it yeah, like definitely. Were, yeah, like I felt like there were very few moments where you kind of do it where the game basically didn't put a put a crosshair over the glass and say, "Hey, shoot this out." Yeah, that that happens a few times. L- literally, it tells yeah. you to do yeah. it uh, <laughs> as like a objective. But yeah, there are there there are times here and there where you can do it, which is neat. Mm. And you do like I think I there's um there's a ach- achievement for using the environment. I forget what it was called, but I, I saw that like kind of popping up on the screen every once in a while uh, that I was doing that. So yeah. that could that could also have to do with like exploding red barrels or you can you can shoot apart like a lot of the architecture that like it, it's basically there there are a lot of uh, destructible environments that have nothing to do with gameplay. That's more just a kind of a good cosmetic effect uh, when you're yeah. shooting and, and sometimes. Stuff up. Sometimes you can like destroy cover. So if like your enemies yeah. are hiding behind cover, or if you're hiding behind cover, the enemies can destroy it. Right. Kind of 
can kind of uh, create some tense moments where you're all of a sudden left without cover and you need to scramble to another uh, short wall or something to hide behind. But yeah, I think unless you have anything else to add about the gameplay, you probably talk a little bit about graphics and music and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, and the main takeaway to for the gameplay is that it's it's basic and it and that's by design. It's supposed to yeah. be, and we'll get into why that is. Uh, but yeah, his presentation in this game was was a real big thing. Um, they used a lot of uh, licensed music in this game, which was a lot of it was used to really cool effect. Um, yeah, I um, it was kind of like seventies rock sometimes, I believe. Um, during like the firefights, the shootouts, and I wouldn't think that style of music would work very well for those type of moments, but it it actually did work really well. Um, it just seemed like it really fit. Um, yeah, I was yeah, I, I agree. I I thought there were it was really cool, it, and it was kind of a, a throwback again to the almost like the Viet. I think it, it. I think the developers intended it to kind of remind you of the the Vietnam. Uh, war yeah, movies okay. like Apo- yeah. apocalypse now and platoon and all those other movies like that but i mean the title screen has the Jimi hendrix version of yeah. the national anthem playing in the background and also the there's a really like a, on the nose use of um nowhere to hide by martha <laughs> yeah. and the vandellas which is a great song and it's it's yeah, you're supposed to be like finding someone, so this song is playing while you're hunting them down, and it's it's yeah, which, you know, a little on the nose, but I like. I, I think it was cool. I think it sort of uh puts it into context by, I'm not sure, but I think sometimes during these like shootout parts, it was the the radio man was actually playing the song through the airwaves. Okay, yeah, so it's it's more literally contextual. I, I think and, so. I'm not yeah positive, but. I think that's what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also some original music in the game, and most of it was kind of in the background. Um, I will say that the uh, part that plays at the end, um, the kind of sort of most climactic moment in the in the game, um, I thought it was really a really good track. It really uh, sort of amped up the that feeling. Um, of this being the climax of the game. I'm not really trying not to say what, what that is yet because we haven't really gotten to it, but right. um, that was just one that really stuck out to me. Otherwise, otherwise I didn't notice the original music very much. But um, Yeah, same here. I, I It, it, it must have been one of those cases where it did its job because I didn't notice it or, you know, think any parts of it were yeah. bad or, or particularly great. So, and it was, it was good. It just kind of was in the background most of the time. And I, it kind of gave me like a silent Hill vibe. Um, okay. Maybe it was just me. And I actually, I actually went and looked up if this game was composed by, uh, Akira Yamoko who did the music for the original silent Hill games. But, and of course it wasn't, but, uh, I, right. I kind of had that vibe from it. So I was curious. Hmm. Um, I don't know what you think about the graphics. They're they're fine. I mean, I don't have any major complaints. The their environments are pretty detailed. Like, you know, there's enough detail there that I did kind of stop and look around every once in a while. It's not as good as say like an Uncharted game or even as good as uh, the Tomb Raider reboot that we played a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. But um, for being a, a wasteland city kind of urban 
desert environment, I, I don't have any complaints. Like there wasn't any intricate, amazing details in the graphics. But like I said, I I did have some like kind of stop and look around moments uh, while playing. So yeah, like seeing some of the architecture off in the distance is cool. You actually see the uh, Burj Khalifa off in the distance, which mm-hmm. if if I'm not mistaken, is the tallest building, tallest tower in the world. Uh, I think I've read. Okay. Um, so it's kind of imp- uh, kind of cool to see that off in the distance. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because this game came out in 2012 and trying to, you know, now it's 2015 and obviously graphics have improved considerably since. So um, I didn't play the game when it first came out, so it's kind of hard for me to uh, judge it objectively um, on the graphics. But I kind of agree with what you said. It's, uh, you know, no, no complaints. It's... Uh, it's fine for for what it is. Yeah, exactly. I guess it, it seems a little bland because you are in a, in the desert, so sometimes it's just desert all around you. Yeah, uh, but I think that's you know, I mean, obviously that's what what you're gonna get when uh, it's just the setting of the game. Right. And uh, we can talk a little bit about the voice acting. We have sure, our, we had uh, our old friend Nolan North. <laughs> right, right. Which is actually, I think, I think using Nolan North detracts a little bit from the game. Uh, and maybe it's just a, a another part of of what what the developers are trying to do. Maybe they wanted to put a big name on it and a recognizable main character voicing uh, the uh, for Walker. But I don't know. I I I I think we're all at a point where we have like Nolan North uh, fatigue. So <laughs> it's <laughs> I think the game would have been served better to have a little lesser known of a person playing the lead. But having said that, I mean, it's Nolan North. You, 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 you get what you get. So, I mean, I personally, I, I really enjoyed his voice acting in this game. I mean, I know he's he, a lot of times if Nolan North is in a game, he, it, your main character is going to sound like Drake. Right. Um, which I guess is, is a problem, but I thought he did a good job of sort of, uh, uh, going from like stern military commander guy to, uh, Basically, sounded like a maniac at the uh, at the end. Uh, kind of transitioned to that pretty well, I think. Which I I don't know. I'm not really. Uh, I don't really know of a lot of voice actors. I don't really follow that a whole lot. But uh, I probably couldn't even name any other than uh, Dolan North and Troy Baker. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like that'd be something that would be difficult to do. That kind of transition while staying in the same character. Um, yeah, and that's fair. I mean, to say he did a good job, obviously. Uh, that's why he gets hired for every single yeah. game that comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there were other... Uh, I thought all the voice acting in the game I thought was uh, well done. I don't really know who any of the other voice actors were, but uh, all the other characters seemed uh, uh, really well done, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, again, no no major complaints on the, on the voice acting either. I thought... Uh, you know your your partners there, uh, Lugo and and Adams were were really well done as well. So again, you're you're part of this group throughout the whole game, and they need to be convincing and kind of endearing to you. And I think they definitely were, at least you know, endearing to you in the beginning of the game. Yeah, we'll things start <laughs> to get a little more. Yeah, uh, things change. There's more as, conflict, as it goes, uh, right? As it moves along, but. So yeah, I guess which is which is the payoff for the for the bonding in the beginning of the game. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, like in the first scene of the game, 
when chapter one starts, it's very, you know, jovial and lighthearted. They're, they're cracking jokes with each other. And, uh, you know, by the end of the game, they're practically at each other's throats. Right. Um, so I guess, speaking of which, we'll kind of start talking about the story. Um, now, my original intention was basically go through the entire plot of the game, <laughs> which I thought might be kind of necessary to really understand what's going on, because there is a lot of things going on, a lot of subtext, and uh, right. it's kind of, I don't know, but I thought it might get too long-winded, so we're just going to focus more on the uh, kind of major and uh, more interesting plot points. So the game kicks off uh, with the prologue and this uh, opening helicopter chase scene where you're uh, where well, your main character, Martin Walker, is uh, manning this mounted turret gun, and uh, you have choppers chasing after you, and you're going flying through the city of Dubai. Um, yeah, so uh, they, they kick the game off with a bang here. Um, and uh, I don't know, what do you think about this scene? Do you enjoy it? Well, just as far as a, from a gameplay perspective and a way to start the game, I mean, we've discussed on this show before how much... Uh, well, speaking for myself, uh, how much I love turret sequences. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it, I, hey, it had me hooked right from the beginning, like shooting hel- helicopters with the minigun. Yeah, gun. and I, I thought right. it was, you know, because a lot of games start off with, like, slow and boring cutscenes, and this one just kind of throws you right into the thick of it. Um, right. With this, like, very over-the-top, um, heavy action uh, scene. Uh, and it is, once you play it a couple times, you see how scripted it is, really. Yeah, you're not really impacting a whole lot because all the enemy choppers crash in the same locations every time, and mm-hmm. um, and it makes it really cool to watch because you know they'll crash in the buildings and then there's all this environmental damage and like you see like these cranes like falling over and um, it's cool, but I guess after you play it once, it's uh kind of loses its charm because it's the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then uh, at the end of that little scene, there's a, uh, a sandstorm hits and um, uh, an enemy chopper crashes into yours and the screen goes black. And that's the end of the prologue, pretty much. Right. So then we go into uh, a flashback, which is the the bulk of the game. Uh, so yeah, most of the game is played from a uh, flashback perspective, um, starting from that uh, helicopter crash, because you do replay that later in the game. Um, just going to jump ahead, I guess, to chapter seven, because not really a whole lot happens in chapters one through six. It's you're most there's a few little things here and there, but you're mostly just fighting bad guys. Sure, and 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 you're, I guess, the most important takeaway is that you're you're just introduced. You know, Walker and his and his squad mates are introduced, and you know that their mission is to find the survivors of uh the 33rd uh their insurrection um so you go in thinking you're going to start looking for bad guys and shooting them and then you know it it starts that way and then things start to unfold uh which is where you know you were just about to say in chapter seven stuff starts getting real yeah um there's a moment, it's a little bit of foreshadowing, but there's a part where your team sort of steps out into the open and then there's this bright flash of light and this white phosphorus rains down and just starts burning all of these like soldiers in front of you. And they're just like dying in this horrific way. Um, I think that's the 33rd. Uh, I guess it's important to note that the 33rd split into two factions. 
Right. You have the, the Dam's 33rd led by Conrad and then the Exiled who split away. We'll talk more about um, kind of all the uh, politics between all the groups in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think that's like the Dam 33rd sending a message to the Exile uh, that or. I think that's what's going on here. I'm not sure exactly who is the who are the victims of that white phosphorus attack, but I think that's what's happening. Um, no, I think you're right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing, and we'll see what what that kind of leads to in a bit. Also, in chapter seven, there's a little hostage situation. Situation. Um, there's a CIA agent named uh, Gould who uh, is being held uh, at gunpoint um, by the 33rd. And there's also a group of civilians there, and you have this choice you can make between do you want to save Gould or do you want to save the civilians? And your teammates, Adams and Lugo, are basically playing the angel and the devil on your shoulder, almost literally. Um, yeah, because they are to your left and yeah. to your right and Adams, kind of talking in each ear. Adams is like, let's go this way to save the civilians, and Lugo's like, no, over here, we got to save Gould. He's our only chance to get out of here or, or whatever to find yeah. out what's going on. And um. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what you do here, and that's kind of yeah. that's kind of true for most of the decisions in the game. It doesn't really they don't really make much of a difference, which I found a little disappointing. Um, if you choose to save Gould, then Gould dies anyway, and every everybody dies. The civilians die, right? And if you save the civilians, then the civilians live, but Gould still dies, and uh. You know, there's some difference in the dialogue between uh, your your teammates, between what happens there. But, um, yeah, I guess the first time I played the game, I saved the civilians. Um, I know I replayed it. I saved Ghoul just to see what the difference was, but there really wasn't any difference. Okay, um, yeah. I, I went for the civilians just because, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it kind of seems like the right thing to do. And, and at, in hindsight, after you play this scene, it, it definitely is because, like I said, if you try to save Gould and everybody dies. And at least right. you can save the civilians. Um, but yeah, after you, after that scene, uh, you basically find a map on Gould's body that leads you to this location called the gate, which is where chapter eight kicks off. And this is kind of the big infamous scene in the game. Uh, you, you, you're overlooking this large group of soldiers and uh, you decide that you can't take them in a, a head-on fight. And if you actually, if you try to, you will die. The game is uh, programmed in a way that you will die if you try to fight them head-on. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't try yeah. that. Yeah. And I, try, I tried doing like sequence-breaking stuff like that, but I didn't try that. That's cool to know. Yeah. So what you end up doing, and you kind of have Adams and Lugo playing the angel and the devil again, Although this is an actual choice you can really make. You have to do this. But you, there's this uh, cannon with white phosphorus. And Adams right. is like, yeah, let's use this against these uh, soldiers. It's the only way to get through there. And uh, So that's what you do. You control this, um, this um, cannon thing and burn all these soldiers alive. Right. And it's a, it's a gameplay sequence uh, reminiscent of the ones from Call of Duty when, yeah. where you're in the... Uh, uh, what's a, like a drone kind of thing yeah something. exactly so you're looking from a top down a yeah. deta- the cool thing about this scene is that you have that detached perspective of looking 
at the you know the overhead as if you know you're in a drone or whatever and you just see the the heat signals of the the I'm sorry the heat signatures of the the people right but you can see Walker's reflection on the computer that he's using to do it and I thought that was a really awesome touch because it, it kind of it's almost like looking into a mirror that's facing a mirror and it's just, you know, a, a million reflections looking at each other because you're you're watching Walker, you know, you're controlling yourself, controlling Walker. It's really deep, man. I'm telling you. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a cool touch. So anyway, yeah, you, you're yeah. raining death on uh, what you initially think are, you know, these soldiers who are in your way. But then uh, what happens, man? Yeah, when you get to the end of that part, there's a cluster of people. And like like you said, you can only see their heat signatures, so you don't you can't actually see like who these people are. You just see people. And you assume they're all soldiers. Um and when you get to the end, there's like this trench area and you know, there's like a big cluster of people and personally when I played that part, I found it really satisfying to just drop the bomb on all these people. I thought they were like I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna kill all these enemies. And right. It's just like a big cluster of them and it feels really cool. And then when you get down there and you inspect everything you've done, you find out that that group of people were actually civilians, like inno- yeah. innocent civilians. They weren't soldiers. And uh, they were actually, um, the 33rd was actually trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they moved them from an earlier location, um, trying to keep them out of harm's way, out of the battle zones. And um, yeah, this is, uh, this is, it probably doesn't uh, translate well to us just talking about it, but a lot of people I've heard when they play this scene, it's it's the kind of thing where they have to like put the controller down and sort of collect themselves. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially the first time you play it, um, obviously. I mean, when you see it coming and you can kind of uh, analyze it a little bit and, and think about what the developers were trying to do and, you know, what it means from, you know, an analysis type perspective or whatever um it's it's kind of uh weird like when you get to the end you like the reason i'm saying this is because i i i played the game years ago like when it came out and now or maybe it wasn't that long ago it was like two years ago and then like playing it now I got to the secret that sequence i'm like oh here it comes and then at the end i saw the people and i was like Oh man, that's it. And it's like, you can't not do it. You have to shoot the, because there's a tank or something on top, like shooting at you and you have to get it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's so brilliantly set up in a way that, like you said, you think you're, you're hitting the mother load of enemy soldiers, which is always fun in a game. It's always fun to blow something up with a ton of enemies near it. And man, what a slap in the face when you really find out what, what, happened what you did you know yeah i mean that was it was shocking uh to just like you said to see um they weren't soldiers they were you know innocent civilians and uh i mean i wasn't really affected too much i think i'm just so desensitized by games that it doesn't really phase me that much but i still was kind of taken aback by it um but uh yeah this was this is like where things really start to kind of change in the game and, and the mood and the tone starts to change a lot. Um, and there's this scene where Walker's like looking at these civilians and he's particularly looking at this, uh, like 
the charred remains of a mother like holding her child. Right. And he sort of just zones in on it. And Adams and Lugo are just arguing in the background and he's like toning them out. And, uh, you know, this is like Walker's breaking point. You know, this is the part where he really starts like, uh, his, his mental state starts degrading. Um, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and 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 this is the point where you pretty much lose Lugo as well. Um, yeah, he's not the happy-go-lucky guy he was right. prior to that. Uh, he he really his his mood really changes for the rest of the game here. Um, yeah. He, of course, he blames Walker for because Walker said we you know we don't have a choice in in using the white phosphorus. We have to do this in order to progress. And Lugo was like, "No, we always have a choice. You know, we don't have to do this. You've seen what this stuff does. We can't do this." Right. So yeah, he he really has a chip on his shoulder for the rest of the game. Um, but yeah, that, that scene, like Walker's just like zoned out looking at those two corpses and then he just sort of snaps out of it and he's like, okay, let's keep moving. Almost like nothing even happened. He's like, let's just keep moving. And he blames the 33rd, he blames Conrad. Um, one thing, like we'll kind of get into this more, but, um, there are certain things in the game that aren't, um, as they appear. Like, this is like a flashback sequence. This is all still a part of the flashback from the helicopter um, sequence from before. Right. But, um, yeah, things, you find out later that things don't always happen the way that you see them in the game. And I think this might be one of those parts. This is my my personal opinion. Um, I haven't really seen anything that proves this either way. But I think... um, this is one of those things where Walker sort of like tricks himself into thinking that they didn't have a choice in using the white phosphorus. Like, I think from a narrative standpoint, there may have been another option from a gameplay standpoint. There isn't, you have to use the white phosphorus, but right. Um, I think from a narrative, uh, point of view, there's, um, there, there may well have been another option that they, and they chose to believe that this was the only option. If that makes sense, sure. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I haven't seen any evidence to, to, uh, you know, to support that. But that's just this. This game has a, a theme of like Walker constantly placing the blame for all the things he does on other people. And so, for, for at the beginning of this scene, for Walker to say we don't have a choice, that's what really kind of makes me think that. Um, but yeah, so after that scene, they kind of they move on a little bit, and they find this. Uh, Sort of like little outpost, um, where you find uh, where Conrad, I guess, was set up at one point. Conrad again is who Walker is looking for. Um, he finds this uh, radio that he and he starts communicating with Conrad. Right. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to give away too much too early, but yeah. Um, so yeah, chapter nine is the next chapter, and it's sort of, um, I think the only real thing of interest here is there's this scene where you come across this little bridge where two uh, bodies are hanging, and uh, Conrad is telling you through the radio that you have to choose one, and that one of these guys is a uh, was a soldier who was sent after the other guy, who um, and he was like a guy who was stealing water for his family. Right. And, and they say since well, this is the desert and it's like a you know an emergency zone or whatever, water is very scarce. He says stealing water is a capital offense. 
but when the soldier goes to uh you know uh, apprehend this guy he ends up killing his family in the process he kills like says he kills like five innocent people right so conrad's putting you in this like little sick game where he's asking you to choose you know who who should die for this you know who should be punished and you uh yeah you you have to choose one uh right However, well, this is one of those secret. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a secret third option. Right, right. Of, uh, you can shoot the uh, snipers around you. Right. Uh, I actually tried that the first time and I died. So I, I was kind of. I actually tried to run away the first time and I think uh, Lugo got killed or something crazy happened. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there, you know. Yeah, I think running isn't. I've actually looked into this a lot. I think running isn't an option. Like, something will happen, but you can kill those snipers. Yeah, that's what I did. Um, and the, I tried that once and it didn't work. I, I ended up dying. So I thought, I kind of thought that it was one of those things where you would, where you were going to die regardless. So I uh, ended up choosing one of those uh, dudes. I think the first time I shot the, uh, the soldier mm. who killed the guy, other guy's family. Um, but again, this is one of those moments where uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment as well because it's not, again, not everything's not as it appears right. in this game. So. Uh, Chapter 10 has you uh, meeting a CIA agent by the name of Riggs. Uh, his plan is to steal these water trucks from uh, this, like, a, a coliseum area where, like, pretty much Dubai's only source of water is being stored. Of course, stealing the water is going to, like, cripple the 33rd. That's, that's what he tells you. It will cripple their operations because, you know, water is the key to everything out in the desert. Right. Um so yeah, you fight through this area and you steal these water trucks and you're kind of in this on-rail sequence where you're armed with a grenade launcher and uh, trying to defend these trucks from the uh, 33rd that uh, are attacking you, trying to get the trucks back. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting little section. Um, you have an infinite supply of grenades to shoot with your grenade launcher, uh, blowing up vehicles and soldiers around you. Right, and... It again, it's it's one of those things that you're supposed to feel guilty for enjoying, and but it is, uh, yeah. you know, satisfying and and uh, bombastic and Rambo esque, you know. Yeah, it's so. just another one of those over the top moments. Definitely, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Over the top. So the the trucks crash right, right. and yeah. and Riggs is pinned under it, giving you yeah. another choice uh, in the game. Yeah, Riggs. I think Riggs just says, you know, nobody's getting this water. You know, if, you know, I'll, I'll crash the trucks before I let the 33rd have it back. Right. So that's what he does. He crashes the trucks and then he's pinned under one of the trucks, which is on fire. Right. He can't, he can't move. And you go up to him. He kind of reveals his plan. And that's like the CIA was sent in to uh, see what was going on with Conrad and the 33rd. And basically they're trying, the CIA is trying to cover up everything that happened because apparently Conrad, um, when he kind of took over in Dubai, he he was very harsh. Um, he is put in a state of martial law, and he imposed harsh penalties for anybody who disobeyed his rules. He executed people in these you know, sometimes very painful ways. He used white phosphorus sometimes on some of his own like uh, lieutenants who disobeyed him. And... Uh, yeah, the CIA seems to believe that if um, this gets out to like the rest of the world, particularly the Middle Eastern area, 
that they will uh, declare war on the United States and they don't believe that's a war that they can win. That's what uh, Riggs actually says. Right. And uh, so that's kind of the whole plan for stealing the water and crashing the trucks is that uh, he's just trying to kill everybody pretty much to cover up what happened. Mm-hmm. So then you're kind of, you are faced with a decision here. You can either choose to um, shoot uh, Riggs or let him burn to death. Yeah. So, uh, and this, <laughs> this one doesn't even have, this one has even less impact on anything. Yeah. It, uh, it, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Just, and it, this is going to sound really funny, but I was playing last night. I was trying to marathon the game and they give you, <laughs> they give you a 45 with one bullet in it. And I went you to, missed. I went to shoot him and I missed. <laughs> I've heard of people doing that. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I missed and then I kind of did to do like nonchalantly walked away. Whoops. <laughs> well, sorry about that. <laughs> so leave you to burn then. Yeah. So yeah. that was my quote unquote choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I played through the game twice just to clarify. So a lot on my second playthrough, I did like the other choice. Um, the first time I shot him. Second time, I just left them to burn. It's interesting because it kind of changes some of the scenery uh, depending on what you do, um, which is kind of a subtle touch. And most people won't notice it, and I didn't notice it. I saw it in like a, a YouTube video that pointed it out. But there's like some graffiti on the wall nearby, and it's like if you shoot them, the graffiti shows like a guy being shot in the head or something. Oh, if you okay. don't shoot them, it shows like a figure being burned. Oh, wow. Feeling them burn. So it's kind of interesting that it, it kind of uh, messes with the environment in that way and uh, kind of little subtle things that you really don't, won't um, overtly, or, yeah, overtly notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just uh, moving on to um, chapter 12, I guess. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Radio Man is probably the next big. Yeah, uh, yeah there's this, we talked a little bit about him, but there's this. Uh, guy they just refer to as the radio man he, he's uh for most of the game he's just coming over the airwaves and sort of taunting you and uh yeah he's you don't really know too much about him but he's uh he's kind of working with the 33rd and yeah he's sort of a thorn in your side through most of the game so then you finally reach the radio tower and you reach the top and your goal is to send out a message about the evacuation trying to evacuate dubai and get out all the people out of there and uh and Lugo ends up shooting uh, Riggs in the head. Radio Man, you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I was looking at my notes and I saw the <laughs> yeah. name Riggs. Yeah, <laughs> Radio Man. Uh, his name is also Robert Darden. You find that out through the uh, Intel files. Right. Um, so, yeah, Lugo kills him. You uh, rush out to a helicopter to try to escape. You destroy the radio tower. And you're doing another little um, on-rails turret sequence when you destroy the radio tower. But what's interesting is after that, you actually replay the um, helicopter sequence from the prologue. Right. And the interesting thing about that is, like I said, everything before that was supposed to be a flashback. But then when you replay it, Walker says, wait a minute, this isn't right. We've already done this. Right. That's, that was a really, (laughs) that was a cool moment. And what I, what I think we should do at this point, Steven, is maybe just kind of, uh, lay the put ending the, out on the table. Put the cards then, out on the table. Yeah, exactly. We, we should just say, you know, w- you know, explain what happens at the ending, and then we'll kind of reverse back on the actual plot and what it actually means. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
so well, we're pretty you, much there anyway. Yeah, yeah. So so you have the helicopter scene again. You have the the same crash. Uh, like you said, it's the same thing as the beginning, and then you. That's where you go through the 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 hell scene, right? Yeah, when you wake up, there's everything's like looks like it's on fire, right? And uh, you see like dead bodies, um, kind of. I think they're like walking around and they're kind of like blaming you for, yeah, you know, the things you've done. Mm-hmm. Not long after that, it's actually an important plot scene where uh, you find Lugo lynched by an angry mob of civilians. Oh yeah, this is uh, another one of the major yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah, so after you kind of shoot him down, like you shoot the rope that's holding him up to, so he'll fall down, and you try to resuscitate him, and it doesn't work. He ends up dying. And Adams is standing there with his gun pointed at the uh, civilians, and he says, just give me the order, Walker. I'll open fire. Right. And uh, you have the choice here. You can. And I don't think I don't know if the game actually spells it out for you that you have a choice. I think it's... Um, oh, it definitely doesn't. And I think yeah. this was one of the more interesting choices in the game because... Uh, I don't remember what I did the first time I played it, but this time when I played it, I was trying to figure out what to do other than just opening fire. Right. And uh, what I ended up doing was, because you can't turn around and go back, you can't move forward, uh, I ended up just meleeing one of the people in front of me, and they all started running away, uh, which I guess is the same result that you get if you shoot a warning shot in the air, which is supposed to be the good, you know, the quote-unquote good uh, choice. Otherwise, you could just open fire, which is, you know. Yeah, and the first time I played the game, I did open fire on the civilians. And then the second time I did what you did, I meleeed one of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they ran off. But I have to say, and this might sound really bad, but when I did the choice that scared the civilians away, it felt like the wrong choice. I don't know if you felt that way, but uh, I mean, I guess technically it's the right thing to do, the more humane thing to do, but right. Um, I guess in terms of the context of the game and what I thought Walker would actually do, it seemed like the wrong decision. Sure. Uh, if you are role-playing as Walker and yeah. you want to avenge Lugo, you would definitely open fire. Yeah, and I, I, like I said, when I let when I scared them off, I really didn't feel satisfied with that. Right. Um, that's a that's a good point. I didn't I didn't really think about it that way but yeah definitely and then he would you know i'm sure he says you know we had no choice like i didn't do it but does he he says no you know um, what they did to lugo we didn't have a choice you know probably i don't really remember um but yeah that's that's uh kind of the running theme uh he says a lot of things like that right so i guess now we'll get to the the end which is the um big plot twist Sure. Um, so Absolutely. throughout the entire game, or not the entire game, but ever since chapter eight, where you find the radio, you're talking to Conrad um, through like the whole game, and he's sort of telling you all these different things, like um, you know, you you can't do this, you know, you're you're placing the blame on me, but you know, you're you're really to blame. Um, you know how this is all going to end. He's saying those kind of things. When you uh, finally confront Conrad, you find out that. Conrad's been dead for the entire game. Right. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Kind of, there's a, there's a scene where you're kind of talking, talking to him, but it's like an hallucination. Um, he's like, he's drawing, he's painting a, a picture of like the scene you saw for the, uh, the burned civilians. Right. The victims of your white phosphorus right. attack. 
And uh, then when you kind of walk forward, you see that he's his dead body is sitting in a chair. Yeah. And he's still kind of talking to you, the sort of out-of-body thing. But that's kind of the whole uh, twist of the game is that um, Walker, by this point, is like crazy. Uh, his his mental state is completely, uh, you know, been broken down. And Conrad was sort of a split personality that uh, he created in his mind to sort of place the blame uh, and point the finger for all the things that he did. Right. Um, so yeah, you're given this other choice now. Um, you're holding a gun in your hand and you're like pointing at a reflection. It's kind of a strange scene. Um, but you're pointing the gun at a reflection and it's also pointing the gun back at you. Right. And the, the reflection is, uh, you see both yourself and Conrad in the reflection and, uh, you have the choice. You can either, shoot yourself or you can shoot Conrad or you can let Conrad shoot you but that's the same that's resulting in the exact same thing as shooting yourself right um so yeah that's that's one possible ending you can get is um essentially suicide right and if you kill yourself that the credits roll and the game's over but if you yeah. kill Conrad you get a, a another uh, segment of yeah, gameplay there, which a, presents you with another yet another choice yeah there's a little epilogue sequence where you see Walker he's like waiting for evac to arrive and he's got a gun in his hand and he's wearing Conrad's uniform uh, right. for, for some reason um so yeah you have another choice you can either open fire on the evac team or you can just lay your gun down and go with them right um what'd you do here i'm curious the first time i did it you know what i it's funny when i played the game two years ago or whatever it was i don't think i got the epilogue because i didn't even know there was one i don't think if there was i didn't remember it whatsoever so i I must have just killed myself the first time i played the game back in the day so i guess it's also important to note if you let conrad's uh, that in that other scene, if you let Conrad shoot you, that's also the same as like killing yourself. Um, okay, so it so results would... in the same ending as uh, if as if you shoot yourself. Okay, so you you'll only get the epilogue if you if you shoot, shoot Conrad. the the Conrad uh, you know figment of your yeah. imagination. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not yeah, it's not really Conrad. You're not shooting his dead corpse. You're shooting right. like this uh, representation of Conrad that's sort of exists in your mind. Right. Um. So yeah, I I I shot th- this time I shot Conrad and in the epilogue the first time I did it I I handed my gun over and and just went with the the evacuation team. Okay. And then after that, you know, I well what what I did just for the the sake of knowing what happened in this discussion and everything was I went back to the chapter I killed myself I killed Conrad I let Conrad kill me I killed all the soul you know I wanted to Uh see everything but the first time I did it I turned my gun over you know (laughs) and this is where I think this would be a perfect place to, to actually open the discussion to the the player agency analysis here because when you hand your gun over to the to the soldier you actually get a trophy that says like or at least you know i was playing on ps3 so it's a trophy and it said like uh a little too late or something like that you know like you're the hero Mm -hmm. now too late or something i can't remember yeah i don't remember myself but yeah the first time i played it played the game i actually opened fire okay uh, because i just I didn't really see after everything Walker had been through. I just, I don't know. I kind of didn't really feel like he would just lay his gun down and go peacefully with uh, 
Yeah, again, and, you're... And, and there's um, that can end in a couple of different ways. Actually, you can either uh, either you will kill all the soldiers, and I guess it, it's, I guess imply that Walker will die just like a couple of days from thirst or you know, dehydration or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you can, uh, or they'll kill you, which is what happened to me. The soldiers ended up killing me. Um, oh, does them killing you give you like a an ending? Yeah, and not just you die yeah. and respawn. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you sort of I like, didn't try that one. You're just kind of laying there in a pool of your own blood, and uh, Walker kind of remembers this thing that uh, Conrad told him in Kabul, which is like another conflict that they were in together um, about like how. The, you know, there's a line like men, men, there's a line that men like us have to cross and, you know, there's, you can't come home or something like that. And that's pretty much where the game ends. Um, if you do that option. Oh, okay. And it's, I guess it's important to note that when the writers made this game, they made it in such a way that no matter what option you pick, Walker does not live. Like, even if you go with the evac team, he, he doesn't live because it's, the game has a way of telling you when there's sort of like a distortion or a hallucination. And that's, uh, there are these like white and black transitions. And anywhere a scene fades to white, that means there's something, something there is not as it appears. Right. And if you go with the evac team, it fades to white. Oh, okay. And uh, that's actually, I've actually read straight from the writer's mouth, I guess you would say, technically. But, um, but yeah, that it was important to them to write the story in such a way that Walker dies. Like, even if, if you go with the evac team, it's, it's all in his head. He's really just sort of, sort of waiting around and until he dies. Okay. Yeah, there's even a, a really uh, kind of on-the-nose line where the soldier who's driving driving you says, wow, like, that some it looks crazy back there. I wonder how you survived it all. Yeah. And he says, maybe I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. exactly. This kind of gives you that little cryptic... Uh, uh, things uh, sort of, I guess, hinting at it. Uh, right. So, yeah, I guess now, uh, like you said, we'll kind of start talking about some of the themes in the game, uh, all the sort of story analysis, uh, what's what's going on here, some of the uh, important things. Because I noticed, for me, when I finished the game the first time, I really wasn't sure what actually happened and what wasn't, what didn't happen. Um, cause like I said, um, anywhere there's a, a scene fades to black, it means it's supposed to be reality. What actually happened and anywhere a scene fades to white is a, uh, some sort of hallucination or a distortion of, uh, Walker's memories. Like he's remembering it differently to sort of fit his own, uh, his own idea of what he thinks, uh, happened or however you want to think about that. But right. I mean, did you feel that way when you first played it as well? No, I didn't. The first time I played it, I didn't go too deep into like understanding those kind of things and those clues and the the context of everything. Uh, and I didn't think I was playing a, just a another shooter. Like I knew this was something different and special, but mm-hmm. I didn't dig so deep into those like hints that I knew what was going on this time. I certainly did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, if I had played the game earlier as well, and I didn't play it for a community playthrough, I probably would have done the same thing. I probably would have just finished the game. Not, not really worried about the story and just moved on to something else. Right. But since I knew, you know, since it it was a community playthrough, I knew we'd have to discuss it on the podcast and I should know what's going on in the story. 
um, I put more thought into it and, uh, yeah, it took me a while to kind of, uh, you know, I did a couple of playthroughs of this game and I did a lot of research uh, on the internet and, uh, I think I, I think I more or less have it figured out now, but, uh, I'm still not even 100% sure on some of the <laughs> things. It's, but that, that's, yeah. that's kind of, it's written that way intentionally. It's, they, it's intentionally left open to interpretation. Um, you know, I feel like they kind of give you enough pieces to make some of the more popular theories fit, but at the same time put enough contradictions in there that you, uh, you know, may not, uh, that you could sort of refute those theories as well. Right. One thing that's, that's interesting is this game likes to break the fourth wall. Yeah, exactly. This, like, like I said, when we at the beginning of, of the discussion, th- this is really a, like kind of a deconstruction of the, the modern shooter. It's, it's a, it's like the anti-modern shooter, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, one of the things it does is tries to, you know, we've we've alluded to how, how many times Walker says, you know, I didn't have a choice or, you know, you guys made me do this or Conrad made me do it or whatever. Like the whole, the whole point and where the rubber meets the road is that it, you know, this is a game about player agency and there's so many, uh, there's, there's so many lines that I noticed playing through it this time where it's not just, uh, Walker saying we didn't have a choice or whatever, but there's so many times where Walker or someone else will say, well, I guess we just have to keep shooting. Well, I just, ha- <laughs> I guess we just have to keep killing anybody that gets in our way. And it's like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's what playing a shooter game is. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like uh, playing this game, you're kind of like a guinea pig, and um, you know, the, <laughs> there's so many people who have like said it better than than I can. But it, it's it's really a game that kind of like points its finger at you for playing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Pretty late in the game, you you start getting these loading screens that start sending you these messages um like at the beginning of the game it's just like um you know it's kind of giving you like tips just like every other game it's giving you you know tips about how to play the game and little little things you can do to sway things to your advantage but i'm not sure exactly at what point maybe around chapter like the last third of the game i would say yeah um, the loading screens are um it says things like um you are still a good person (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um i actually have a list of these uh i wonder how i might read off a few of them but uh there's one i thought that was funny it says uh if lugo were still alive he would likely suffer from ptsd so really he's the lucky one yeah that Uh, that one that that one kind of hit kind of hard because that is like uh you know it's pretty like walker himself is suffering from ptsd so that's uh, that's the one I liked, I don't know if you have it in front of you, the one about uh, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. I thought that one was really, yeah, it says, <laughs> really uh, funny. Cognitive dissonance is an uncomfortable feeling caused by holding two conflicting ideas simultaneously. I guess yeah, that's sort that, of the game, like letting you know, like sort of subtly letting you know that there's, you know, that's what's going on here. Uh, exactly. You know, that's, 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 that's the voice that Walker is hearing, that, that the Conrad voice. He's having these conflicting ideas. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that was an interesting one. Uh, 
there, there's one that just says, this is all your fault. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, here's one. Uh, to kill for yourself is murder. To kill for your government is heroic. To kill for entertainment is harmless. And, oh, uh, I did. I never, yeah. I never saw that one, but that one's really good. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were talking about, sort of pointing the finger at the player, um, because when you you know you play these shooters and you go in and you're just like, you feel like the hero. You play Call of Duty or Battlefield, you feel like the hero, right? You know, you're going in, you're shooting up all the bad guys, you're saving the day, and this game that's not how it works um and that, i think that's the writers did that intentionally like they wanted to make a more realistic war game like they oh wanted absolutely to, they wanted to sort of uh you know paint a more realistic picture of like what actually happens in war and that it's not this you know it's not glorifying it like uh a game like call of duty does right and and they have uh there's a few sequences in the game that if 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 you're not getting it, quote unquote, it, they not to say they hit you over the head with it, but there's some contextual uh, situations. And the one that sticks to me most is uh, when you finally find uh, Radio Man and you have to clear the roof of his building before you repel down. And he's saying like, oh, why'd you kill that guy? <laughs> you know, he had a wife and yeah. kids and I think he had a dog, too. Like, And then like, yeah. he'll say stuff like, oh, man, I really like that guy. And then the last guy you kill is like, well, I didn't I, I don't mind that one. He was kind of a creep. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the whole thing is that like if it, when you play a Call of Duty or whatever, you're basically just taking out cardboard cutouts of you know whatever's in your way just shoot whatever moves you know so you can get through the game where where this one tries to tell you i mean one of the major things of the game is that your your enemies in this game are u.s soldiers like how yeah like right on the face of it that's crazy that this is a, a mainstream game where mm. all of your enemies are united states uh, it, soldiers it's funny because one of the uh, loading screen quotes I have listed here is how many Americans have you killed today? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> yeah. Now imagine that like you, you won't see that on a, on a call of duty or any other <laughs> like mainstream, you know what I mean? Like this is really, this game is so punk rock. It's not even funny. You it's, know, you know, if it's like when you play like a lot of shooters, there's like always, it's so like um, black and white, I guess like there's, the bad guys are just, you know, they're like, it's like fighting Nazi Germany or something, you know, it's just, you know, th these are people that are like going for like world domination or, uh, or a genocide or something. Whereas, uh, I guess in real life, in a real war conflict, most of the time it's, uh, you know, I would think both sides sort of have their own valid reasons for, um, the conflict and, uh, and this game it tries to like humanize um your the people that you're killing in the game um, right and there's like there's some little intel files and things you'll find that sort of try to again like humanize um the people that you're fighting and mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's just that was just the point they really tried to drive home that uh you know it's just it, war isn't just like it's black and white good versus bad um you know, you know, being the hero kind of thing. And then one of the other quotes, loading screen quotes, and I think Conrad even says it to you, and this probably should have been the tagline for the game, is do you feel like a hero yet? Right. Yeah, then that's... Uh, 
that is, I think, you know, this, the, what the developers are trying to do and what they succeeded in doing is saying that war is not like a carnival shooting gallery, you know, yeah. like it's, it's death and destruction and it's, it's, it's violent and it's, it, it is a descent into hell, which is what this game is, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and there so, are, there are real victims, you know, they're not just, like you said, cardboard cutouts. Right. Um, it's heavy stuff, man. Yeah. The, this game yeah. is, is, you know. You have anything else to add about the fourth wall breaking things? No, just that the, the, the other main point, which is, if it wasn't obvious by our discussion yet, like the, most of the things, like Conrad's monologue at the end is, is designed to be actually that he's talking to you, the person holding the controller. Like he's not... Mm-hmm he's not talking to Walker, you know what I mean? Like, like you said, he said, you know, this is all because you wanted to play the hero, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah, want, exactly. It's like, this you is want why... to feel like something you're not a hero. I, exactly. I, that's, like, I see that quote. And I wonder, I, I mean, this is kind of an aside and I don't want to derail the, the conversation, but I, I wonder how many people actually like discovered this game in the way that the developers intended and what i mean by that is somebody like like i kind of had heard a little bit yeah. of the buzz about this game before i picked it up like i wonder how many yeah, people said oh it's just Spec another... Ops the line is it like call of duty yeah. i'll give it a shot yeah. you know and then yeah. played it and if you read a lot of reviews and a lot of like forum discussions about the game you'll find that a lot of people really did discover it in that way um, they kind of went in just expecting a generic you know run-of-the-mill shooter like call of duty and they end up you know, getting this and, and they loved it for that. Yeah. And that's really um, cool. And that's actually kind of leads into, um, the next little point I want to talk about is that, uh, this game starts off at the beginning. That's why we didn't talk about the beginning chapters very much is that it really starts off like kind of a generic action game. Um, there's not really a whole lot of these more cerebral things going on and it throws a lot of people off guard. Um, I, I think they did that on purpose to you know give you a false impression of what this game is so that when they hit you with like the white phosphorus scene it's just it hits that much harder yeah and all definitely yeah and then uh but at the same time I wonder if that was a little bit to the game's detriment because I think some people might see those scenes and then say like oh this is just another you know generic shooter why, why should I play this um and it's funny because I had a friend of mine I was telling him about this uh playthrough we were doing and he was like, that's actually a game I, I want to play sometime soon. Um, let, let me know when you start playing that, and I'll kind of play it, and uh, we'll, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about it a little bit. And when I told him I started it up, he um, he told me he went and checked out some, like a, a little bit of a YouTube uh, playthrough of the game, starting at the beginning. Mm. That's what he told me. He was like, it was like a generic shooter. I don't know if I really want to spend my time with this. And I was like, I was like, no, they're doing that on purpose. Just uh, yeah. You know that they're they're going to hit you with some heavy stuff later on. It gets a lot more interesting. But uh, I wonder how many people might have had that impression and just either uh, didn't play the game or stopped playing it at like chapter five or something before getting to like the good stuff. Yeah, the quote unquote good stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing good happens in this game, really. But yeah. The, the interesting stuff, we'll say. Yeah. No, I know what you meant. It's uh, yeah, it's such an amazing uh. Again, this is, I wish there were more like video games like this because it, it, it's funny, like 
I come on the air month after month and, and we play good game, you know, but I mean, when we talked about like 40 K space Marine, it was just like, well, there's another modern third person action game. You know what I mean? And, and I, man, I, there needs to be more stuff like this out there because, you know, this game is so special, you know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. it just is, you know, I'm at a loss for words to describe like the, the, you know, movies and music and, and other art forms, they have, uh, there's always experimentation and more avant-garde stuff in film and music, you know what I mean? But like, unless you're like talking about the indie scene, there are no, like there's so rarely mainstream games that are willing to take the the risks that this game took. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, if this game popped up on Steam and got a little got some buzz and somebody just you know threw it together, you know, in Unity and and put it out there, you know, it actually might have gotten more attention if it if it was like that. But the fact that this was you know, it's a triple A shooter that came out from a major studio that did this crazy thing, you know, to kind of pull the rug out from underneath players. That's just like, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible to think that this game came out, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think that might be one of the reasons why this, it, this game hit so hard is because there aren't, there isn't anything else like this out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if, if the market was kind of saturated with these sorts of things then it wouldn't really have an impact, we, you know, we would, uh, it's like, well, we've seen this game that wants to, you know, trick you into thinking it's something that it's not and then uh, hitting you with this, with all these heavy scenes and just the fact that there really isn't anything out there from AAA developers, it just uh, gives this game a lot more impact. Right. And uh, it's like you said, on the indie scene, we see this quite a bit. Like, there's a recent release called Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and I haven't played it. I don't really know what it's about, but it's getting a lot of buzz and I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's just some, like, uh, like an emotional story maybe i'm not really sure mm. but um but yeah you see this a lot from the indie scene but not from uh from uh you know triple a uh, developers because it's it's risky and you know the the big publishers don't really like that they want to make money they like do this this is what works well and that's kind of that's why this game we didn't even talk about it it's not really worth talking about but this game actually has multiplayer that nobody played right and i've read from uh the writers really didn't like that you know that it, it was literally like a, a checkbox on a form that said this game you know does this game have multiplayer you know it needs to have some form of multiplayer um mm-hmm. because you know it's you know it's like you just don't put out a shooter these days without if it doesn't have multiplayer you know and uh i guess that's kind of the, the price you pay for like the you know triple a development and big publishers and things like you can't really take as many chances yeah. it's a shame but it's just how it is Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And, and just, I was just reading this thing, um, a quote from Corey Davis from Jaeger, uh, one of the design, he's the lead designer. And I, I want to read this quote, not because it's, it's just kind of why it's a commentary on, um, multiplayer being quote unquote tacked on to shooters. But I, as I was reading this, I, caught a sense of this guy's passion for this game and like what what happened with it so just real quick um 
he said, talking about the multiplayer, it sheds a negative light on all the meaningful things we did in the single player experience. The multiplayer game's tone is entirely different. The game mechanics were raped to make it happen, and it was a waste of money. No one is playing it, and I don't even feel like it's part of the overall package. It's another game rammed onto the disc like a cancerous growth, threatening to destroy the best things about the experience that the team at Jaeger put their heart and souls into creating. So again, like... Yeah, I, I read that somewhere, too. I remember that cancerous growth right. uh, comment. Uh, so... But yeah, uh, yeah, they're absolutely right. I mean, this is a game that did not need multiplayer. It you know, shouldn't have been there. Uh, it was tacked on because 2K wanted it on there and, you know, to hopefully attract right. sales. And they did the, they did the um, same thing to Bioshock, too. And people said the same exact thing about the multiplayer in that game. That, you know, why would you put it multiplayer on a Bioshock game? But they just felt that that was necessary because that's what you do with a shooter. So they did it again here and, you know, yeah. that's that's what we got. So, yeah. I guess we'll go into um, talk a little bit about, like, Walker's degradation, uh, his, his mental breakdown. We talked about how, like, the white phosphorus scene was his breaking point. And after that point, his like audio, his vocal commands start getting more like maniacal. Um, he goes from sounding like this stern commander guy to, uh, you know, just like a crazy person uh, by the end of the game. Yeah, it's actually a lot like kind of the inverse of what happened to uh, Lara Croft uh, in the Tomb Raider reboot. Yeah, um, I guess, uh, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, it's not, it's a different <laughs> kind of thing, but it, as, yeah. as far as the presentation and the, 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 the contextualized, uh, it, character like, model, degrading. Sort of like an, yeah. Sort of like an evolution or like a devolution in this case. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. And also his, his like executions get more violent, like the execution animations. Yep. Um, like I think at the beginning of the game, he'll just sort of like kneel down and punch a guy in the face to like knock him out. By the end of the game, he's like sticking the barrel of his gun in his mouth and just shooting or like snapping their necks and yeah. things like that. I mean, they get much more violent. And uh, I, I read somewhere, I was like maybe on the game's website, but it talks about like the moral choices in the game and how uh, how like you give it gives you these big, you know, impossible to make decisions that impact all these people. But I felt like the, like we said, a lot of the choices in the game didn't really impact the story. Um, and like all the choices, really all the choices were bad. There were like no good choices you can make. So all the choices kind of, this might have been necessary, I guess, to, to like kind of give more believability to that. All these things that Walker has to do is leading to the degradation of his mental state. But uh, I was a little disappointed, I guess, that the choices didn't uh, seem to impact things very much. I don't know if you felt that way. but Yeah, so... The the choices are. It's good that they're not binary in in the way that it would be in say like Mass Effect, the Paragon Renegade thing that we talked about when we played oh, it. Oh yeah. But yeah. I wish, as you said earlier, that they had kind of gone a little bit further with the repercussions uh, of what you could do. And I really like the idea of the hidden choices. I like the idea of trying to do a little sequence breaking and doing a little of let's see what happens, you know, 
if I try to run mm-hmm. away, if I try to sh- shoot uh, the snipers on the b- bridge instead of shooting one of the guys hanging there, like I I like that. And the game like kind of it 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 takes it takes the ball a couple yards down the field, but it doesn't it doesn't take it to the end zone. You know what I mean? Like it it, it there's some yeah. steps in really cool directions here, but. Overall, yeah, I would say that the the payoff was not good enough, but you know, really the choices were handled better than just you know, press X for the good choice and press Y for the bad choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was no like black and white. You know, this is the good thing, this is the bad right. thing. You know, um, like I said, there's really there were no good choices most of the time. It was all just bad. Right, you know? and I, I guess that plays into the again the whole thing of you know player choice and and walker saying hey we didn't have a choice i i don't have a choice you always had a choice you know what i mean like the whole thing is yeah, is about yeah. player agency and i i, I kind of wondered i read somewhere and i think it was just a youtube comment so i can't really attribute it to anybody but somebody said at the beginning of the game it would have been really cool if there was like a secret ending where it says you know your your mission is to locate the survivors and leave the city and it would have been really cool if mm-hmm. you could have actually like done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and and yeah. just like game over. You well, know what I mean? Or but that then you wouldn't have had like the rest of the meat of the game to to experience. But you, you know, it's one of those things. Like the only way to the 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 lesson here is the only right choice is to not buy the game and put the disc in your system and play it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really like, you know, to use a buzzword, it's really meta. You know what I mean? Like, by me actually playing the game, I made the choice to to play it and to experience because I wanted to do, you know, shooty shoot and kill people. You know what I mean? Jokes on me. But the the whole thing is like, mm-hmm. I wish again to to circle back around to I wish the actual choices that you had had even more consequence and repercussions and you know making things happen so that's my two cents on that yeah and you reminded me a little earlier when you brought up the the uh hanging uh person choice uh, i said i was we were going to touch back on that but yeah you, you can choose to either shoot the soldier guy or the guy who was stealing the water but at the end of the game it kind of shows you these revelations and those those two people were dead right, the were... whole time like walker, walker was imagining yep. that um, and that's why like Adams and Lugo acted so strange during that part of the game. Um, cause Walker's just standing there in front of these two corpses. Like we have to choose one of these two. And, and that's, you know, Adams and Lugo are like, what are you talking about? Let's just keep moving. Right. And, um, and there's also, you brought up, uh, the beginning of the game where, uh, in chapter one, chapter one is full of those white transitions we talked about, uh, before where things are not as here. Okay. And yeah, every single uh, scene is a fade to white in chapter mm. one, um, which is interesting because um, you talked about their mission was to just kind of go in, do a little recon, and then uh, get out of there and contact uh, the evac yeah. team or whatever. You know, contact the, uh, the the. There's actually a scene at the when you're talking to the Conrad at the end, or you know, quote unquote Conrad, um, where he says you were never meant to come here, and it shows a scene of like Walker Adams and Lugo walking into Dubai saying, okay, we're going to, our mission is just, you know, go come in here, look for, look for survivors, head back to the storm wall and yep. call on the cavalry. 
And I think all the transitions in chapter one were sort of Walker misremembering or distorting his memories of what actually happened to sort of give him a reason to keep going, to keep looking for Conrad, because Walker is basically obsessed with Conrad. He, he idolizes mm-hmm. him. And, uh, you know, and he, and, uh, cause he considers Conrad a hero. Conrad saved his life and the, uh, mm-hmm. when they were in Kabul, like they don't really say what happened in Kabul, but, uh, that they make that pretty clear that uh, Conrad did save Walker's life. I think that might play into sort of that whole um, hero thing. You know, maybe Walker kept pushing on because he wanted to be a hero like Conrad. Uh, but yeah, you find out that some of these earlier events uh, and this whole f- and the whole flashback part of the game are distorted, um, and they didn't. They're, they're not actually as they appear. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was worth worth mentioning before we get too far mm-hmm. away from that. Um, I guess we can just kind of start, uh, wrap up our final thoughts on the story itself. I mean, there's, unless you have anything else you want to, uh, talk about in detail, but, uh, uh, no, I think, honestly, I think we covered everything that I wanted to. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, go ahead. So there's, um, I guess two major, um, two major theories for how the, how the story plays out. And, uh, I think one that I personally like the most is that, like we said, everything that happens prior to that chopper crash is a flashback and, you know, everything that happens, um, during the flashback sequence is kind of distorted. Uh, Walker's kind of, uh, altering those events in his mind to sort of place blame for his actions. That's why all the, you know, that's pretty much the result of all those white transitions. That's what the white transitions are telling you. Um, the other big theory is that Walker actually dies in the chopper crash at the very beginning of the game during the prologue. And everything after that is sort of happening in sort of either in Walker's mind or his own like little personal hell uh, landscape. Um, a lot of people like that theory. Yeah, I actually, I didn't know about this until recently. And I, to be honest, I didn't even notice it in your notes. I saw it somewhere else. And I'm glad that you also, mm-hmm. you know, saw it in your research, obviously. And uh, this is, uh, you know, very interesting to me. I, I, I hadn't thought about this until, you know, playing it this time. And it's, it, I think it is a really cool theory. I don't know if I'm like... A hundred percent bought into it, but it does explain a lot of things. You know, it, it explains that line that you yeah. said about earlier. You know, with Walker saying, "Hey, this isn't right. We already did this." You know what I mean? Like that supports yeah. that a lot. So. And that's um, that's what I was saying before about how um, the the writers I feel like they give you like enough like supporting evidence to support either of these main theories. There's also enough contradictions to right. sort of refute them, so they can't. They leave it very ambiguous and open to interpretation. Um, personally, I, I I definitely like the uh, theory of everything being a flashback and Walker sort of uh, distorting his memories and placing the blame on Conrad and everybody else. And uh, that's my personal pick. You know, it's it's open to interpretation. It's you know, uh, I don't know if I know you said you kind of like the uh, the death. Yeah, theory, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, Which you know, cool. I'm not putting like a stamp on yeah. it. Like, yeah, that's that's the one I like. Okay. But I, <laughs> you know, it's it's very interesting. You know, having just kind of come across it more recently, it's like, oh, I never thought of that. And yeah. you know, like, 
the the main reason I kind of don't like that theory is because it sort of renders everything that we talked about with the white and black transitions as kind of irrelevant because then everything is essentially imagined or not that's reality. true yeah that's a really good um, point but at the same time it's hard to explain like why walker remembers the uh, chopper sequence you know like i said they kind of give you enough evidence to go either way i i actually wondered cool. too was the was the line about we already did this already just just another weird fourth wall break you know what i mean yeah i, I thought it might have been just um Nolan North was just in the little uh, voice acting booth, and he's like, "Wait a minute, we already did this. Why? Why am I doing voice acting?" For you? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> that would be funny. And they said, "Brilliant, leave it in. <laughs> yeah, just keep it. Just keep it in." But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it could very well be that they're just trying to screw yeah. with the player some more. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think even like the lead writer on the game said he. He didn't say it was like canon, but he said he liked the whole. Uh, Walker dying at the beginning of the game and everything else being kind of uh, kind of in his mind right. or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, it's open to interpretation. It's ambiguous, and uh, I think that's it's cool that they they did that. That they kind of there is no right, you know, one hundred percent. You know, this is the canon ending, or this is the canon you know story. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of right. what you make of it. So, uh, yeah, I guess that about wraps it up. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, uh, play it. And anybody who's, I mean, if you listen to this, <laughs> I hope you already play well, it. The, the, <laughs> the irony is that if, if somebody yeah. listened to this and uh, is now interested, we probably ruined we ruined all the you know, plot yeah. twists and everything. But. Well, it, it's, well to, just to say it's a game that should be played. And if you have played it and you're listening to this, tell your friends to play it. You know what I mean? Don't tell them what's going to happen. Just like yeah. Steven did. Tell them, tell your friends that, it, hey, it's it's like a shooter, but it's more than that. Give it a shot, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to recommend this game to somebody because it's like, you know, it's, it's a shooter. You should play it. And he's like, oh, well, is the gameplay really good? And you're like, well, <laughs> not really. You're like, well, what's so good about it? Well, like, right. I can't tell you. It's You just have to play it and see. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a good game. I've played through it. I played through it twice, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed both playthroughs. And, you know, it's a lot of games. It's a struggle to get through just yeah. once. Um, so it's, it's to be able to play a game twice, you know, practically back-to-back is, uh, I think that says a lot about the quality of a game and the amount of, time and research I put into this just trying to sort it all out I, I don't think I've ever analyzed anything as much as I uh, have analyzed the story of this game I mean if only I'd put more effort into nah. my schoolwork uh, put this much <laughs> effort in my schoolwork then uh, maybe I would have got better grades but uh, you know that the schoolwork wasn't as, as interesting as this game so yeah um, yeah, it's a great game. It's, you know, you can find it dirt cheap, should pick it up. Definitely. And I, I actually, you bring up a good point about playing it multiple times. And I definitely, it is one of those games that you get more out of on repeat playthroughs. And as I was, I think I told you off the air that I played it on easy and I got through the game in like five hours. And I, I, I did some, yeah, I definitely did some sequence breaking and like checkpointing and just avoiding, you know, certain things, but, um, to make the game go faster. But I, uh, you, you know, I, I got a lot more out of it. It's like a movie that has a twist ending that you, then you go back and watch it again to see if you can pick up on the hints, you know what I mean? 
So yeah, playing exactly. it, if you've played it before, maybe try playing it again and you'll notice more more things going on. And uh, I, I thought about setting up the playthrough that way for like the first two weeks to play it once and then the second two mm. weeks play it again. But, you know, we had enough. We couldn't get anybody to play it one time, <laughs> so uh, I didn't, <laughs> wasn't going <laughs> to push it. But, uh, yeah, that's a good good point. It's It's definitely like watching those kind of uh twist ending movies and then you know everything's a little more clear yeah. that second time um so yeah i guess that about wraps it up um you want to talk about the game you're hosting for September? sure actually i am going to host metal gear solid on the retro side for september uh so you'll find me over there what we're doing is uh rich and i are kind of trading places so for the modern game in september rich is going to host uh indigo prophecy also known as fahrenheit in europe um which is uh one of the uh, i don't know if it's david cage's first game but it was you know one of his early breakout uh titles um so if you played heavy rain or uh what's his other one beyond two souls uh you will probably also enjoy Indigo Prophecy. It's a it's a cool little game. So Rich is going to have that on the modern side in September. So come up, uh, check us out on uh, rfgeneration.com and, and join us. be all for another episode of the playcast thank you for listening and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs and to our returning guest russ lyman remember to visit us at rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs discuss the games we're playing or leave feedback about this podcast join us next month in our playthroughs for september when rich and i will actually trade places and i will have the pleasure of hosting one of my favorite games of all time, Metal Gear Solid for the Sony PlayStation. And Rich will be hosting Indigo Prophecy, also known as Fahrenheit, for the PS2, original Xbox, and PC. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.